When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply through a breakup and becomes suicidally depressed wow a woman after, leaves him after having written after having written the book mm-hmm. but the more i get to the point where i'm lucky enough to see behind the curtain of people i've idolized the more i go my guess would be anyone that you idolize has bad days days that they're off even on the thing they teach what's up bienvenido to number friday number what 40 38 40, 40. All right, so I'm going to tell you about a book that I read. Okay. It's you're going to hate it. Excellent. <laughs> it's called The Surrender Experiment. <laughs> yep, and all your money really isn't yours. Oh, okay. You're just the steward of this money. Okay. <laughs> and I want you to recognize no. I actually really like this book. It's by the guy who wrote Untethered Soul, which became an Oprah Winfrey big one, a New York Times bestseller, and this is his life story. I'll give you the brief synopsis. He's uh I guess he's probably born in the 40s-ish is my guess. Oh, wow. Um, And then comes 60s and 70s hippie. He's like 20-some years old in college. uh, Is not really interested in the school. Has an awakening experience. He like learns about meditation. One day sits down in the woods and leaves his body. And he goes like, that's what I want forever. So he starts doing the thing that you hate, whereas he says that coincidences are guidance from life. So, mm. for instance, if he has a certain amount of money in his bank and he finds a plot of land that costs about that much money, that's life's guidance that he should buy that plot of land. Okay. So he's got 15 grand. The guy says he wants 18. He says, well, I've got 15, and if you'll come down to 15, then it's a done deal. And the guy says, okay. So he buys it, guidance from life. I know you don't like any of this. <laughs> no, no, listen. I don't mind. If he said he had $14,329 and he looked online and he found a listing for $14,329 and he went, this is fate. I'd be like, hard to argue. Yeah, yeah. You found something for eighteen grand. You only had fifteen grand, So you just negotiated down to fifteen grand. It gets – so I'm going to tell as much of the story as I can. If that's fate, everything is – like the fact that I ate a mango is fate. This is the question that I'm going to ask at the end. So – he does this. He sits down. He gets his buddy. They've got a little bit, like, basically no money left over. And his buddy's an architect fresh out of college. He's like, I can use a hammer. Can we build me a meditation hut? And so they spend a summer building a meditation hut. And he, that's going to be his life. He's going to sit in this hut on his five acres in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, and meditate. Cool. He happens at the same time to be failing out of his economics thing. He's not going to class. And the professor's like, you're going to fail. He says, well, actually, I've gotten A's on the test. Why don't you just grade my final paper because whatever. So, again, according to him, he doesn't study at all for this final paper. Sits down in a moment of inspiration at the end, writes this paper, submits it, thinks he's going to fail. Professor contacts him and says, this is amazing. Will you do your dissertation for me? And will you, like, TA 
work is this. So he gets pulled into, and, and one of the things that he started doing through his meditations is surrendering. Sorry, he wasn't studying, but he got A's on all of his tests in economics. Oh, uh, no, he was studying somebody that wasn't going to class. He was like Why reading he what was, he was interesting fail? to him. Uh, because he hadn't shown up to class, and that was a huge portion of it. That's my story. Well, it, that's the participation <laughs> I grade. Didn't, sure. I didn't attend any of my classes at sure. Wharton, and I got all A's. It wasn't fate. Well, Wharton, did they grade participation? Well, I went to the ones that graded participation. Exactly. He w- did not. And yeah. so that was why he thought he was going to fail. And the professor was like, this paper was so good. Come TA for me. Come do your dissertation for me. One of the things that he was practicing at this time, he thought he was done with economics, is surrender. And so basically when people ask three times, kind of like Austin Powers. Oh, nice. <laughs> he says yes. He's like, yes, theory, but kind of like plays hard to get. Yes. And it's not. And, and that's the kind of thing. He doesn't totally say this because he's like, I surrender to life. But then you hear multiple times where he fights things and he, he pushes against them. But so the, the impression that I get is when he says he surrenders, he means if things kind of are persistent, mm. he goes, OK, this is a sign. So when he sees a photo of some uh, Indian mystic three times, he has to call him up and invite him out, for instance, becomes a T.A., uh, he says, okay, but here's the deal. I want to just teach things that I like, so I'm going to you know, teach not economics. I'm going to teach uh, consciousness. And the guy's like, okay, we have this new community college that you can go work at. Maybe go teach that there. Quickly becomes the most popular class. Students start showing up at his house on his plot of land. He doesn't like it. All he wants to do is like go do what he surrendered to do, which is teach, and then go home and meditate all day. But this is part of the surrender. People start squatting on his land, building themselves houses. <laughs> and they're like, will you help me build my house on your land that I didn't ask you if I could build? And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts building houses on his own land for people that he doesn't want there. People start asking them, can we come meditate with you? He doesn't want them to. He's like, Yes, we can. <laughs> so it starts this tradition that has gone on for 40, 50 years of every Sunday there's this group meditation, which hasn't missed a Sunday apparently for 40 years. This starts happening. Houses are going up. He's building houses. One day, the and there's all these people, and he constantly is like, this is going to pass. I I'm feel gonna like be we're missing meditator. a detail. Why did anyone think it was okay to go build a house on his land? 60s, 70s. He's a consciousness guy. His class has uh, room for X amount of people, but 2X show up all the time, sit in the hallways. He's, the, he's one of the few guys at that time that is totally hitting the zeitgeist and has actually been meditating for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they want to do it. They want to participate. Uh, Just seems like a bold ask. I've I think literally it's like never flower encountered child, it. It's got to be, yeah. It's hitchhiking flower child era got as it. this is going on. So. Uh, one day the sheriff is out there. He sees all these unzoned houses. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he comes up to him, He's like, oh, man, I'm in trouble. He says, wow, I really enjoy the craftsmanship on this. Could you do the extension on my house? And, of course, he doesn't immediately say this. He says, I, I'm not a builder. Like, these people are literally just asking me to help them. He's like, well, did you build it? He's like, yes, I, I technically built him. He says, well, could you do it? He says, okay. So he takes, like, him and a couple friends. He puts an extension onto the sheriff's house. The sheriff is incredibly impressed, and I think one lesson that does come from this is that this guy is – when he does say yes, he's, he's in it. He like, he's like, I hammered every nail like I was building my own dream home. And uh, all the sheriff's friends see it, <laughs> and they're like, can you do our thing? Can you do our extension? So before he knows it, essentially, he's got a construction company. <laughs> one of the students gets him this. He's like, hey, do you want a commercial license? And he's like, I guess – hands him a commercial license within the next week somebody contacts and says can you demolish and like rebuild our liquor store 
So now he's in the commercial construction business. Uh, they're offering him insane amounts of money, which he's like doesn't really want. But then anytime any land bordering his own comes up for sale, and if the prices at all match what he has in his bank account, he says yes, and he just buys the land. So now this guy's going from five acres to 10 acres, to 20 acres, to 80 acres of land. Uh, he, in the midst of all of this, he went from making no money, just living in a hut, signs over all of the land to a nonprofit spiritual organization. So now he's living on land that he doesn't own, essentially, at this point, isn't making any money, uh, but has started this community of people that have, like, at this point, maybe, say, 80 acres of land. Mm -hmm. People are coming in, doing this. They all want to work with him. All he wants is essentially to be left alone. Uh, but he keeps surrendering, and he says good stuff keeps happening. Well, is it good stuff? Because if his so this is the thing, he's achieving success by someone else's metric yes. and failing success at his own metric. Well, this is one of the lessons is he's like, these were some, it was so enjoyable to do. Okay. I didn't want to be a construction guy, but I found it incredibly fulfilling and enjoyable and I lost myself in it. In Got a way it. That was so he spiritual. wasn't upset that he wasn't achieving his Correct. own goal of being alone. Correct. And of course, many years are passing and I'm abbreviating and he's a, skipping, you can tell, a lot of the things that he said no to because- at one point, he's like, I was getting jobs left and right, and I had to say no. It's like, well, wait a second. You didn't have to say no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You could have surrendered to the flow of life and signed up for work that you couldn't have done. And I really want to understand the distinction of well, when did you say no and when did you say yes sure. under what circumstances. Anyway, one day, he sees one of the first computers, and he's called to it. He's got to have it. Picks it up, takes it home, just starts programming. And it he programs— How does he program without— knowing how to program he's just obsessed he just is he just he, he reads every manual that there is got on it. it and he no that's the answer yeah yeah yeah. reads every man he's totally obsessed and he's like oh i know what my first project will be i'll do the accounting system for this business that i've created word gets out that he's done that at the <laughs> at the thing that it's a really good system the guy who sold him the computer said can you do the accounting stuff for us yeah he says well i'm a talented guy I he's mean, a, he's a world-class construction worker and he's a world-class coder. He's and he's all self-taught, which is incredible. Yeah. Uh, says, sure. Starts doing the accounting things. Oh my god, computerization, accounting. Can you do this? Next thing you know, you know, he gets this commercial thing. He doesn't want any of these gigs. He's just he's happy to pass it on. He's got a pilot friend. I'm just going to give you some of the serendipity, and we'll fast forward to the end. Uh, well, I haven't, I haven't heard much serendipity so far. He sounds it, like a really entrepreneurial, talented guy. It's a lot of like the key hire that he wanted showed up at Sunday class, stuck around after, and was like, can I work for you? Mm. And he said yes. Uh, and then they had work out of state. He couldn't get to out of state work. And Did then, the guy know he was hiring? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think he was advertising it. He was just like, I'm a one-man shop. He didn't think of it as a business sure. at the time. Uh, that happened to us with our Spanish yeah. channel too. Yeah, totally. Uh, so this starts to happen. One of his friends is a pilot and he's like, Oh dude, you said you were trying to get out of state to those other work. Uh, I'll just fly you there. So now he starts flying in his tiny little friends plane to go mm -hmm. things. He's making more money than ever. Uh, long story short here builds one of the biggest medical, uh, accounting insurance things several years later, sells it for $1.3 billion <laughs> in a merger. Now he doesn't wow. own all of it at this point because it's gone public and, mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff. And I just got to t the year 2000 where the, the bottom drops out, right? This is an internet company who merged with WebMD. WebMD was valued at $100. It just hit $3. And he owns WebMD stock or he's cashed out? I think he's got this amalgamated stock, probably some cashed out. 
And it's a really interesting story. It's uh, the parts that I found particularly interesting were how he was making all this money. He was just like, here, take it. You had you have this land. Did not try to accumulate. Uh, continued to do good work. Mm-hmm. But the point which I know that you're confused about and that I'm confused about is like, you say that you're surrendering. But when you describe the stock going from $100 to $3, you describe these the toil and the hard work that you had to do mm-hmm. as opposed to being like, this is a sign from God that this isn't supposed to that be. That this should be worth That this, this sure. is, that, like God is trying to tell me, I mean, what other clearer thing, 100 to 3, it's only my job to take it from 3 to 0 and move on to the next project. Yeah. Now, I would love to ask him, like, why didn't you surrender there? Yeah. When, for instance, uh, you know, now you've got 150 acres and a construction waste site is about to be placed right next to your thing. Why did you go to City Hall several nights in a row to try to fight it? And serendipit and you got them kicked out, and then serendipitously the land value plummeted because now construction waste can't be put there, and then you acquired it. <laughs> it's like it seems like there's a lot of yeah. Why view. not surrender <laughs> to the fact that there's going to be a garbage an amazing thing there. construction waste that's going to yeah. open new possibilities in your life. So it's, it's so interesting <laughs> to me because it sounds like he's a very talented person, mm-hmm. very entrepreneurial person. And you could put any number of narratives to it, right? His can be surrender and serendipity, but mm-hmm. without changing any of his actions, you could talk about the importance of hard work. Mm-hmm. You could talk about the importance of doing what you're passionate about instead of trying to make money. You could talk about the importance of excellence mm-hmm. and how the only reason his construction company was successful is because of excellence. So yeah, this sounds like a very interesting person who lived a very cool life mm-hmm. and the takeaways could be anything. Sure. You know what I mean? Totally. I was so stoked on the surrender idea because I've heard it a hundred times in these circles. And I was like, oh, here's what it looks like. I was like, ah, but you're kind of picking and choosing your places yeah, to surrender. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's a hindsight narrative. So I've noticed this in some books that I'm reading, which we can talk about after this. But there's this hindsight narrative where you take your life's events and you make it into a story, right? Mm-hmm. Stories have to have arcs and they have to have a theme or a thesis, right? This guy's could have been any number of things and he chose to describe his life in terms of surrender okay like Mm -hmm. if that's a useful story for him that's awesome Mm -hmm. i'm not convinced that was the key part of it the key part of it might have been being insanely talented and hardworking. sure well i think there's a couple aspects of it which you can you can build a great community which i think is another very important thing and like jason gaynard's entire business is about the importance of community and Mm -hmm. his thesis or his life story involves serendipity he threw an event, had Tim Ferriss as the keynote speaker before he had an event, right? He could have talked about how fate gifted him that. Mm-hmm. But his is about hard work. That his story is about hard work and networking. Yeah. This guy built an incre- incredible community. We hired our ops manager, all our language people, because we built an online community of sorts, right? So our story could be about the importance of doing something that people love. Yeah. I'm not against his version about surrender. But yeah. yeah, it just sounds like you can describe why he was successful in a lot of ways. Sure. So I'm going to try to steel man it because I was trying to steel man his argument even as I was like, this isn't lining up. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to the guy. He's about 70 these days. Uh, so first off, there's an argument for full surrender is like, okay, the construction site's going up. Okay, my company is under. Okay, I'm going to find a way to give in to what life is pointing me at and be happy regardless. Yeah, to say yes, to learn to love the smell of garbage. Yes. That's what some people describe surrender as. Say yes to everything. Everything. Everything life gives you is a gift. Yes, gift, yes. And that is, there's an argument like, look, you're not going to be 
likely materially successful, but you will have a rich inner life if you surrender in this. If life. you can pull it off, if and you, act, can, pull if you can actually start to enjoy the smell of garbage. Sure. So there might one. just be smiling through tears if you, you know, because you can't fake it. Totally. Like you can't fake that. And I've seen people try to totally try to use self-talk while everything's burning around them. And they're like, this is so great. <laughs> yes. And so there's one that that's one way to steal man. The other way, I think, is perhaps to use intuition as opposed to surrender, because it seems he does describe two modes of thinking. There's the word thinking where you logically in a straight line piece ideas together. Mm-hmm. And then there's what you could call right brain thinking, which is. Let's forget my assumed goal and just try to look at things with fewer presuppositions Mm -hmm. and see what weird connections I can make given that things are the way that they are. And also do what you like. Steve Jobs would say the same thing. (laughs) Steve Jobs pursued calligraphy because he was interested in it. And he attributes Apple's success largely to that. So, yeah, this guy thought computers were interesting. He went after it with no short-term monetary gain Mm -hmm. in sight. Cool. That's a great lesson. Yes. To do what's interesting to you. Yes. And just, that just doesn't have to – that's not necessarily the same thing as a synchronicity. I agree. And so what I, what I take from it that I'm going to try to apply because – Which if people who don't, have never heard that term, it's often used to mean that uh, the universe Coincidental things given that are you, purposeful. Coincidences yeah. are in fact destiny. Yes. It, I think is a accurate way to describe how I've heard synchronicity used. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, but yeah, so what I take from it is that, that there is a second mode of thinking. I'm very word thinking that there's an intuitive uh, – gut feeling about hires about mm-hmm. lines of business about uh who to date etc well in my non-woo world i'm still pro intuition because i think intuition mm-hmm. can often be your subconscious yes. so they say i read a really good book about hiring called who and they say you don't hire based on your intuition but you reject based on your intuition so mm-hmm. if you get a feeling oh, i really like this guy okay he's still got to <laughs> go through he's still got to take the technical test yes yeah. he can't just get hired but if you have somebody and they do well on the technical things but you get a weird sense from them, they say, reject it. Yeah. Go with your gut. Don't take anyone unless they get the on paper look good, technical look good, and gut feels good, which I, I think I can get on board with that. And it seems like what they're saying is that your gut is going to be a, a better determinant of what is not right for you. If you, as sniff something, to, yeah. if you sniff something's off, but you can't put words to it, trust yourself that you're picking up on things that, that are there, that yeah. are there yeah. versus oh, I just really like this guy Mm -hmm. I'm getting, or woman, I'm getting the sense that we should hire this person. Make them take the technical tests. Make them do some projects, whatever the interview process is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I can get behind that. Yeah. Uh, So that, I thought that that was interesting. And I do think that particularly at crossroads in people's lives, this is where I think intuition becomes most useful. Like when you're, when you're on a defined task, oftentimes word thinking and getting through from like this is my definite goal mm-hmm. I've, I've agreed it's my definite goal i'm just gonna take a fairly straight line there but if you're between things stepping back because i think the point that he effectively makes is that we don't know the things that make us happy yet we are very committed to getting the specific thing that we've decided on mm-hmm. and by going you know what i thought that meditation was the answer but these people are here maybe i could explore this a little bit yeah it opens up new possibilities now i have to contrast that with great advice from essentialism which is focus yeah and say no all the time so weirdly enough you know if you're a fan of say yes theory or the jim carrey movie yes man or this book there's this idea which is say yes to life well can i cut in here yeah it sounds like when he is and i didn't read the book when he is a construction worker he's Mm -hmm. very focused on making an excellent house 
And yes. I assume he's only doing that one house at, at first, right? Well, not the case. So no, the in, first house he gets? Yes, yes. He's, but there, I just will tell you a quick story. There's one time where this woman calls him up. I, you know, I says, I need you right now. He goes, I've got guys on other jobs. She says, no, right now. He says, I really can't. She says, right now. He says, do you want me to pull my people off of all of their other things, even though it's going to be really expensive? She says, yes. He goes, okay. <laughs> so if there is this sense of like three knocks, Interesting. You, which is, I want to ask him to be on by sending him three emails. Yeah, we should. <laughs> just we should. Send him a letter, a poster, and an email and be like, we've synchronicity. Just get a guy. Facebook ad to him. <laughs> exactly. Target him as an N of one. But go ahead. So you were saying within a project, he seems to be particularly focused. Yeah, I assume when he was coding and teaching himself to code through manuals, he wasn't spending two hours a day doing construction, one hour a day meditating, one hour a day teaching, and 30 minutes a day learning to code i assume that he was know. spending a significant amount of time learning to code i don't think you can learn how to code in a half hour a yeah day. no no it was definitely several hours a day he sounds like he wound up being stretched thin at various points of his life and career but yeah so i don't know the answer but you're you're kind of bringing up how do how do we reconcile great advice which is to say no to things that take you off your path mm-hmm. and great advice which is to be open to serendipity and to accept that you don't know what is best for you at all moments. Sure. I don't know how to bring those together. Yeah, yeah. And I also want to say, even if people are listening to this and they go, surrender is an important part of his story. Yeah, which I, I think it is. I'm fine with that. You you should recognize the other parts that are important to his mm-hmm. story. And you often talk about this, but there's a bit of survivor bias here because certainly there are other people who surrender to everything and life does not give them a billion dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of, um, there's a famous author who talks about how he wrote affirmations for what he wanted to happen and every single thing he wrote came true. And so he's a firm believer in affirmations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all I have to say is that I can find someone who wrote affirmations and not every single thing came true. So it's great for this famous author that it did, kudos, but there are counterexamples is yeah. all I would say, right? So for, for him to preach that that's the key to success, I would argue, do affirmations. I'm a I'm pro-affirmation. Also become excellent at your craft and do other things to help yourself. Don't just rely on fate to carry you to success. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I do. Because there are people who have tried that same thing and it didn't work because they didn't have the other things, the yeah. community, the talent, the hard work, whatever it might be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's my only. Yeah, no, I, I uh, it's, it's a, for me, a really interesting idea, one I want to figure out how to incorporate, but I recognize that even within the book, it's it's self-contradictory. At Are you going to try it? Are you going to take a month similar to dopamine diet and well, try I, it? Well, dude, here's what happened. <laughs> so I'm reading this book, and I told you this. I get this email from a guy who's like, do you want to come work for me as my marketer? Yeah. And no knock, but I have a business and I don't think he does. <laughs> right. Like he has, he's starting, and he's got a good following for a guy who's doing his thing. Uh, and I, I wish him genuinely the best. Yeah. Uh, do I say bold ask for you to shut down your company to go work for him? Though. <laughs> yes. Very bold ask. Bold ask. Hey, do this I... thing you built over seven years, <laughs> shut it down. Just give it to Ben. Come be my employee. And we'll do something else that maybe you're not passionate about. Do I say yes to this according to this book? Do yeah. I go – because this is the other thing. He didn't have the email. I have email. And I get asked to do, no joke, hundreds if not thousands of – if you include comments, thousands yeah. of things every single maybe day. Maybe limit it to just in person and just things your business partner asks you So if do. somebody can find my address and no, like, just me. tap me. I just want to be able to milk this surrender thing until you 
until you get over it. <laughs> until you get over it. Until I can ruin it for you. I won't ruin it. I'll use it sparingly. I just want to know if this is on the table now. So, yeah. So, I don't know what to make of it. But one thing that I did find uh, inspirational about it was, and I think this is kind of contrasted, uh, people in the entrepreneurial world and in life in general are always talking about work uh, and about the money they need to have to never work again. Mm-hmm. That's like the big thing. Once I get this, I can never work again. Mm-hmm. And in reading his story, I was much more moved to like, I will pursue things that fire me up to do them and mm-hmm. not worry about having enough money such that I can retire and never need to earn a red cent mm-hmm. again. And so that that motivated me and his story of giving uh, the, all of his income to this community and just being like, you know, help people meditate while I build houses uh, and still coming out the other side, having done excellent work with enough, more than enough in his case, uh, I found inspiring. And it's and it's encouraged me to think of what we make as um, rather than hoarding all of that potential, be mm-hmm. like, how can I best steward this? Yeah. And how can I deploy this to do the maximum good? Didn't you already give away like half of your uh, I didn't give away half, savings. first off. So we just pay taxes. <laughs> California taxes, everybody. <laughs> they got us so good. Yeah, they did. <laughs> they did get us real good. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't give away half. I didn't give away half. I, I, I thought you gave away more than you have in your savings account after taxes. No, in my savings account? Yeah, no, post-taxes. No, no. no, I did not give away more than I have. I oh. gave away a, a good chunk of money in the last year. But uh, thinking even beyond that amount like oh what's the best way to deploy this because i've been thinking you know if i don't have anything that is directly on this exact line of where i see the business going i'm not going to do it as opposed to um being a little bit more open to possibility yeah of like oh let's let's try this skunk work project oh it didn't work you know and, oh let's try this oh what do you know like this one blew up and this week you mentioned it we have lucho in town yeah lucho's our spanish language guy he emailed me three years ago and was like, hey, can I start a Spanish language channel? And I'm glad that I was like, sure, <laughs> because now he has 700,000 subscribers. He's doing excellently for himself. He earns us money as well. And it's just like one of those things. It's nice to have those spinoffs mm-hmm. um, by creating opportunities for those things to happen. You know, that's, yeah. that's what I was thinking. Cool. Sounds like a good book. It is a good book. What's it called? The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. Nice. And I didn't even get to the part where he becomes – Oprah's friend. <laughs> you keep going. Let it rip. I no, I didn't get there. I didn't get there. Oh, you just I, haven't I'm read 80% it off. of the way through. Nice. And then, I, and then he's Tony Robbins' friend. So if we just build construction and then nice. start a computer company. If anyone wants to come build a house inside Charlie's apartment, feel he's free. Game. I'm not, but he is. Um, okay. Do you want to hop onto one or I can give you some more stuff that I've been working on this uh, week? Sure. I mean, this is actually something I was going to talk about next week but i'll bring it up now so speaking of books and narratives so i read love yourself like your life depends on it again because he sent me a early edition of his new version of the book that's coming out it's got three parts part one is the same as the original part two is a step-by-step action guide part three talks about his most recent breakup what is his name by the way again kamal Ravikant. okay um and it's fascinating because this person one wrote a very very useful book that i like a lot okay so everything i'm gonna say still falls in that realm Mm -hmm. great book i like it a lot he's the self-love guru right the expert of self-love and in his part three he shares this transparently he goes through a breakup and becomes suicidally depressed wow a woman after after having written after having written the book 
a woman that he thinks he's going to be with forever. I, he's not talked about proposing, but just in his head, he thought they had true love with that, whatever that means to him, mm-hmm. leaves him. And he's in bed, incredibly depressed, fantasizing about going to his friend's house who he knows has a handgun, putting it in his mouth and pulling the trigger. Wow. And he's trying to figure out if he would do it with his eyes open or closed. It's very detailed, right? And Aubrey Marcus has been a relationship expert, talked on podcasts and and expounded his wisdom on relationships, recently went through a breakup that was really hard on him, right? And so the takeaway for me is all these people can have things for you to learn from. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important for all of us not to idolize them and not to think that we are inferior because we struggle. Mm -hmm. To think, oh my God, I just wish I were like Kamal and I could do self-love like him. Or, oh man, I wish I had Aubrey's relationship. Or my charisma. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, we're in, we're in this. And so, yeah, I just thought it was really fascinating. It's something I wanted to bring up and say, like, when you struggle with something, you are not inferior even to the people you're trying to learn from because mm-hmm. they've, they've all come... And Neil Strauss, the pickup, best pickup artist in the world, yeah. has anxiety when talking to women, yeah. right? And the self-love guy wanted to commit suicide. And the relationship guy turns out that in his relationship he was often unhappy mm-hmm. and then their relationship ended and this is not a knock on any of them either this is not to indict these people but as i was reading it i just realized that books are narratives they're stories they are told with a beginning middle and end they have to be told that way to be a story to have a satisfying conclusion right but and there is no end is the real exactly there is no end you're not done with relationships, you're not done loving yourself. You're not done. Yeah. So learn, and then all that is is saying same with charisma with us. You catch me at a certain moment, I'm making a bad impression on someone. Yeah, yeah. You know, I now I do not make a hundred percent great impressions. I do not date hundred percent of the people that I'm attracted to. Everybody is human, and so I think it's important to learn from people, but don't idolize them, and especially don't feel bad about yourself when you feel like you're not at the point that they are in the book that they wrote. So I don't know the Does answer. Does that make sense? To yeah, I don't know the answer to this, but uh, this is what pops up in my head. Is that a function of humanity, which is, hey, look, no one gets self-love, or and I don't want to pick on Kamal in this case, mm-hmm. uh, or is it a function of, look, the guy who wrote the book on self-love is not ever going to be the best situated to explain it to you. The guy who uh, sits on a mountain somewhere doesn't you know what i mean who who isn't writing a book who isn't doing this he's there is a better teacher out there but because of no i actually think my takeaway from this is that the dalai lama has days where he's sad of course is that the the buddha has days where he gets distracted Mm -hmm. that's i don't know them maybe i'm wrong Mm -hmm. but the more i get to the point where i'm lucky enough to see behind the curtain of people i've idolized the more i go my guess would be anyone that you idolize has bad days, days that they're off, even on the thing they teach. Mm-hmm. You know, even the Buddha, who's probably the greatest person to learn from when it comes to wisdom and Zen, right? Sure. Has days where he's cranky. Yeah. Um, that's, and, that's, and also, that's what I've come to believe. Well, the best practitioner of any given thing and the best teacher could also be very different people. Like the best teacher in many cases is going to be someone who struggled with something, mm-hmm. had to consciously learn. And yeah. so therefore they can lay out the steps. It's kind of like us with teaching confidence and charisma versus the most confident person on the planet is more confident than I am, mm-hmm. but <laughs> they can't teach anyone. Right, and, and this takeaway is specifically for people trying to learn. I think a lot of the people yeah, yeah, that yeah. listen to us, they, they have areas they want to improve, and they're actually proactive enough and 
they go after it, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think is unique. I think not every person is like that. Um, so this is a message specifically for those people. So they're sure the naturally confident person isn't even trying to become more confident. Mm-hmm. So this, is, this doesn't even apply to him. Sure. He's not reading books on confidence. Sure. But yeah, that was just something I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the second takeaway I have, unless you have more on that, dude, breakups mess people up. Yeah. Oh my God. This guy is, is thinking about killing himself. He's a successful author. He's got a network of friends that he really enjoys. He's really close to his brother. He has loved ones throughout his own story. Friends connect with him and give him love and give him advice. And he's thinking about killing himself because of a girl. And I see it a lot, man. I had a friend, friend of ours who's this baller 22-year-old. He, he makes movies and he's very good at networking. And he's very personable. He went through a breakup and he called me up because he was so sad. He's like, do you have any advice? And yeah, breakups mess people up, man. It's just so interesting to me. This specific area of, of life seems like it's really hard for people. Well, we've talked about it before. I, I think it's primarily hard because of the cultural uh, narrative that we place on relationships, which mm-hmm. is essentially that uh, you're complete now. You've found your other half. Yeah, 70. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you're going to be together forever and we're going to sing this song and, and what we have is totally special and unique and never ending. And the way that you feel today, uh, you're probably going to feel that way in 10, 20, 30, 40 years because that's what love is. Mm. And I think that it's the the stark difference between expectation and reality is what causes the pain. It's clearly not sitting in a bed that is so difficult, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no one in this bed like most of the other nights of my life. That's mm-hmm. totally fine. What's hard is, oh, I thought I was complete now and loved forever, mm-hmm. and I'm not. And I think the this is why I'm – I don't know if you can call me passionate about it, but – uh, at, at dispelling the myth that you are completed upon entering into a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. Like I really in my own life tried to mitigate against that expectation and uh, yeah, recognize that in my opinion, and assume people are not going to like this, the best that I am aiming for personally is a deep friendship with anyone in life, <laughs> boys, girls, whatever, you know, like sleeping with them or otherwise. Yes. And, and when I, often catch myself expecting beyond that i try to go hold on this is a fantasy concocted by disney movies and ed sheeran and and bruno mars and it is going to destroy you if you buy into it even my even my little (laughs) happiness boosting shows have it uh parks and rec you know i told you i watch an episode a day to try to make me goofier i just realized the other day i think i sent you a voice note on this but one of the character arcs is this guy comes to town he's a smart successful guy he's the head of their little government agency and throughout the story he risks his career to date a woman then the woman gets in trouble and to save her he resigns from his job that he loves and then he gets offered paid positions but ultimately says no and takes an unpaid position managing her campaign to help her with her running for office Mm -hmm. and they've been dating for less than a year and the shows, I'm sure, are going to make it all great and worth it, and it's awesome. But if yeah. you watch that and you go, oh, this is what love is, which is what I was doing as a kid, right? And then you live it, and then at year two, you break up. You're going to look back and go, oh, my God, I gave up my job and my income for this. Yeah. And it wasn't a good idea. Yeah. But, yeah, on the show, it's just such a, an obvious note. And when you're watching it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's so sweet. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And it's in there because the show isn't 
about that. The show is about the jokes and the this yeah. and the that. And it's almost more insidious when it's a subplot to the thing because it's most taken for granted when it's not the only storyline. Yeah, line. and you're rooting for them. Yeah, when yeah, he yeah. quits his job out of love, you're stoked. Yeah. You're like, yeah. yeah, that's what you should do. And it gets in there, gets in your head. And all of a sudden, that's what love is. Love is throwing away your lifelong career for someone you've known for eight months. Yep, for eight months with an expectation that, uh, of course, this is going to work out yeah. in the end. And and in some way, of course, it, it will. If yes. you surrender. If you surrender. <laughs> if you surrender. Uh, but... I do think that there's a degree of, I mean, even the surrender thing kind of, it's it's about being present and what you're describing and, you know, wanting to commit suicide is the exact opposite of being present. You know, it, yeah. it's it's completely living in a ruptured fantasy yeah. at that point. So, like, weirdly enough, the surrender thing helps a lot in those well, situations. That's, that's how he gets through those situations, yeah. actually. He, he does some stuff that's not even in his book, but I've heard other people recommend it and his friends recommended it, like putting his hand to his heart and saying, yeah. like, this is me. This is now. I am here. Yeah. This is my body. Just getting present yeah. by saying things that are real. Grounded. I've never done yeah. that. I've never done that practice, so I can't say if it works or not. But that's one of the things that he does to not pull the trigger and actually yeah, commit suicide yeah. is he tries to return to his breath. He goes, okay, 10 breaths. Nothing else in the world matters but 10 breaths. Inhale, mm-hmm. exhale. Because, yeah, every everything that's depressing him is think, he's either thinking about the past or projecting into the future. But his present is actually just being a financially well-off man surrounded That's by friends. Not even his present is breath. That's like, sure, sure. But I'm just saying his circumstances aren't. It's not like yeah, he's yeah. even. You're saying his present circumstances. His yeah, present. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's he's not he's not in a war-torn zone with his mm-hmm. leg blown off, crawling to safety. He's sitting in a nice apartment mm-hmm. in California, comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, what was I going to say about that? This reminded me of uh, a moment earlier in the book where he says, oh, it's really easy to do self-love when you're sad and yep. really hard to do when you're feeling good. And yep. the problem is when you feel terrible, you're like, oh, yeah, let's go back to presence. But when you feel good, it's so tempting to indulge in these fantasies and these thrills yeah. and uh, plans and all this other stuff. But weirdly enough, that just builds the habit that guarantees that you suffer in the future. No, he acknowledges this too. Yeah. The the weird part about his book is that it's very easy to implement. It's five to mm-hmm. 10 minutes a day of meditation, specific meditation stuff. And I found it really helpful. It helped me get through a breakup actually. But when you feel good, there's not a lot of incentive mm-hmm. to do his practices. You know what I mean? There's more incentive to fantasize because you're like, oh, I feel good. And now I'm like mentally stimulated yeah. and it's most thrilling of the people, and exciting. Most of the people yeah. I know that became entrepreneurs hated their job. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of people that were like, oh, this is great. This is I actually know a lot of people. I know a lot Google. of people. We know the guy <laughs> who were like, this is a seven out of 10. I think being an entrepreneur yeah. would be a 10 out of 10. I want to be an entrepreneur, but I'll do it later. Yeah. And you remember, I mean, I'm not, dude, I can think of two friends. That this is like, say his first name. Brian was was uh, a friend of ours. He was working at google he's like it's really good but i'm just not feeling it i love what you guys do i love what you have and so many of our other friends would say that same thing and then when they had this awful job like my brother who was uh picking up cups bartending Mm -hmm. uh just completely being destroyed from the hours of like 9 p.m to 7 a.m in las vegas he became an entrepreneur entrepreneur. that's what i'm saying yeah oftentimes (laughs) weirdly enough unhappiness is a good fuel yeah and so when you're really down, when you have gone through a breakup, like this, again, this the, the guy that called me, the 22-year-old baller kid, yeah. I recommended uh, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. 
he started reading it immediately yep. yep immediately so many people i recommend that book to and they go okay but he was in pain so he started it he's doing the practice and he's feeling better but the question is when he does feel good will he continue it? and the answer is no no one does the author doesn't we don't yeah i don't really know how to convince the brain that it's worth doing but yeah nobody seems to keep it up until they're sad again yeah i don't have a good solution and i think the book that i read two ago which was a master secret whispers for those of you, we, we do need to get a book list people have asked it's you know how do i break the cycle it says when you when you shun excitement just as much as you shun pain you know yeah. like that that's when you will break it but as long as you're like no i want the upside but not the down it's like okay yeah, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that's not gonna happen uh as soon as you get to the point where th you know you could make a, a trillion dollars and you're like i would rather go meditate then then <laughs> you might have it um anything else on that now i'll take the trillion <laughs> i got other stuff though you want to bring something up so this is just uh, do you know who's you don't uh there's a twitch streamer her name is sweet anita definitely don't she has tourette's oh you've shown me this person actually yes, i've shown you this person and she's got all different kinds of ticks. She's uh, recently, I didn't, I don't know how long she's had it because I've watched some of her stuff. She just throws the bird. She'll just be talking. And it's, it's, I mean, it is funny because it, you can't tell at first if she's saying it on purpose. So she's like, oh, why did you say that? Like, <laughs> and she throws it and it adds a completely different layer. That's neither here nor there to the story. Yeah. Uh, she's got a ton of different ticks and it's very obvious that she has Tourette's. And she also has a type of Tourette's that, whose name I cannot recall right now, which is, the swearing and all that kind of stuff, the mm -hmm. inappropriate gestures. Uh, and recently on a stream, she's talking about her necklace and she's like, da, 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 and just screams the N bomb. Oh, wow. Yes. Just drops the N bomb hard. Live stream? Yes. And uh, I don't think, uh, to the credit of the majority, the, the calls for her takedown were actually not widespread. And when I was looking at the uh, the people who covered it, it was not Washington Post, New York Times. like. But it was interesting that there's a – it brings up the discussion whether or not there are people on the other side of what makes words bad words. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think she's completely defended, defensible because it's like this carries, as far as we can tell, zero intent is – as uh undirected as any of the other ticks that yeah, she has yeah. like uh to me a word is not the sum of the syllables that yeah. added up it is it is the intent and the force behind it but to to others that's not the case yeah certainly there are some people that do not feel that way they just feel like the a word itself <laughs> equals a crime yeah and she and she says she's like you know people have suggested that i uh run on a delay or do this and i just have to say like one i have tourette's all the time but two, now my mental illness is such that I have to hide, not such that other people can't recognize and, ex and understand that this is a mental illness and is not from a place of hate. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people like me who truly, I, I'm one of them, can't go outside. Like we have to be very, very concerned with where we go in public because there's not widespread awareness of this. Yeah, and if yeah. I were to say something horribly inappropriate, it, you know, I'm trying to spread she awareness. She can't leave her house? I think she might like. I don't know how similar it is. I think she does leave her house, but it's it's a concern of like. Yeah, yeah. It, we gotta where... send her a shirt that says "I have Tourette's." Yeah, I think that would solve the problem. Yeah, she might have a card or whatever. Who knows? But again, she doesn't necessarily. She would like, and I understand though it's hard. She's got a kind of a fringe experience disease. Yeah, and she would like more understanding. But and she's trying to just be herself, 
in her little corner. Oh yeah, what Twitch. I'm saying, what I'm saying is, I actually think people would be understanding if they mm-hmm. thought, if they knew it was Tourette's. Mm-hmm. If I had a shirt that had it just said, "I have Tourette's," yeah. in giant letters, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like if I sat in a coffee shop and my symptoms popped up, sure, I don't think people would come at me aggressively. I think they just might pretty... not want to wear that shirt every day. Well, <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I have to wear contacts every day yeah, or, yeah. or glasses. Like yeah. so you, we don't have good genetics. You know, my eyes are crap. Mm-hmm. Every single day, I wear something that lets me see. Mm-hmm. I, I listen. I'm not saying she has to do this, but if she's uncomfortable going outside, maybe wearing that shirt every day would help. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know about her her experience. But the other thing is, she the one thing that she said is, I had no choice, and it instantly made me think of PewDiePie, who I'm you know who was on a live stream, gets shot, screams the n bomb, and I go, okay, how much choice was involved in that decision? Well, you're a determinist. You don't I'm, think so there's. A, a, you don't forget, think anyone has choice. Let's pretend. Let's pretend that I'm not a determinist. Let's pretend that I believe in free will and that yeah. there are choices and there are uh neurological reactions and let's just say for the sake of argument that all of hers are these neurological reactions of which free will plays no part mm-hmm. uh how much choice went into pewdiepie's expletive and i would argue okay maybe more than the person with tourette's but certainly less than the person who is uh, shouting it at someone of color in yeah. a hurtful way threatening to hurt them and yeah. even compared to them compared to the person who sits at home thinks about it and then goes outside and says you know what and then, and then unloads on it right yeah. like uh and i don't necessarily have an answer but it's just there's a spectrum and you're saying where where do we draw a line on what? on choice on yeah. on, on choice uh, especially when it's something like well i definitely think we put tourette's in the okay <laughs> the i'm okay. willing to i'm willing to die on that mountain yeah 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 and and uh i what was my my read on it was just that yeah i think that there's more interesting philosophical questions underpinning the use of language than we get to mm-hmm. that is so much more interesting than is this person is this person racist the, the nature of choice in these sorts of uh experiences uh the the intent behind what is said which of course can never truly be understood mm-hmm. or gleaned and then we have what we often talk about which is what the in person means to say and what is heard and the balance of like where communication truly lies somewhere in between those. Did you hear about the hilarious NBA coach thing? No. Dude, this is so ridiculous. I don't know what, I don't know what's true or not, but this coach was talking to a team. His team's been playing really badly. And he says, you guys are playing with energy. You're playing hard. You're you're finally not playing like a bunch of thugs. Uh And that's a word that people are really triggered by because they think it's dog whistling for the N word. Uh And it's a white coach with an all black NBA team. And, he says what he meant to say is slugs oh. because he's saying you're playing with energy. You play with speed. You played hard for the last four games. You haven't been so diving was, on the yeah, floor. Yeah, yeah. You, you're not playing like slugs anymore, but he said thugs. Oh my God. And ESPN ran the story. You know what yeah. I mean? And so he went to every player. The team seems like he went to every single player and he's like, that's not what I meant. I meant to say slugs. And he has a impeccable record of, of high character. So people are like willing to buy it this time. Sure. So the team seems cool with it. But it it's an interesting thing to your point. Like, yeah, he got in hot water because he said that, and he his intent was to say a different word. There allegedly. was another Twitch guy who said it's he said asshole or something, but it sounded like the n bomb, and he was banned. And then they carefully reviewed the waveform and his word, and so no, he did in fact. But it sounded like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. JJ like- Reddick got in trouble for this. Actually, <laughs> he stuttered when he was talking about the Chinese fans. Yeah, and. He was trying to say Chinese, and then he was trying to say a different word, and he accidentally said what sounded like a slur. He got in a fuck ton of trouble for mm-hmm. it. It's just, uh, yeah, he was like, it's not what I was trying to say. I was on camera. I stuttered. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a, he had a... 
and his then, own hot water. And the question becomes, okay, let's pretend that this particular coach meant to say thugs. And what he meant to say in his mind had no racial connotation where he grew up. Uh, there was, you know, a gang that played basketball and that gang played very lazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? like it, this, all of this becomes, okay, he meant to say slugs. But it's like, what if he meant to say thugs, but he didn't mean it the way that you think he meant it? Grayer. Grayer. Yeah, of course. Definitely grayer. Of course, grayer. And and I guess, and maybe I'm uh, reacting to the news, which cherry picks the three most angry people on Twitter and then tells me that there's a thing. But it seems that there is... Well, if you're uh, an NBA, so just to be clear, that thug has been a word used to describe NBA players for a long time. If you're an NBA coach and you don't understand that. the negative connotation around that word, that's, in my opinion, like you're claiming willful ignorance when it's it'd be impossible for you not to know the context of that, which what is if, like, what if you know? But it's not impossible. Clear. I mean, you would come on. You someone out there of 32 NBA teams could not know that. It'd be tough as an NBA coach. If you're just not. Consider, yeah, you you haven't heard it. You didn't say it in your locker room. It didn't happen. It nobody Maybe. in your staff it's been, said it. It's been it's been a it's been a wor- a hot word for a decade plus sure. since Iverson. Sure, sure. Uh, I actually think if someone else were using the word that was just a random like a fifteen year old in Minnesota said it, sure, we can say that that's mm-hmm. not necessarily. A but let's thing. pretend that with 95% certainty, NBA coaches know it. That's still at least 5% of guys who go, look, I didn't know. Like, And I don't know what to tell you. I am the weird guy who didn't pay attention to the Iverson media thing and didn't understand it. Uh, I guess what I'm advocating for is, uh, this is so lame, context, <laughs> and uh, an, intent, uh, an attempt to understand intent behind these things and to the best of your ability to see, okay, you know, what what was this person trying yeah, of course. to communicate? The hard part is you want to, yes, in an ideal world, you'd want to know intent. The thing you also have to recognize is that people can hide behind intent, right? People can totally. purposefully say inflammatory, hateful, hurtful things yeah. and then go, ah, it wasn't my intent. So you, you don't want to use it as a an infinite shield for mm-hmm. everyone. Who, you know what I mean? Like, yes, ideally, we'd be mind readers mm-hmm. and we would just know who was hateful and who wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I agree context and intent matter, but also... I get why people say you can't just say whatever you want and then claim that your intent wasn't to be hurtful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also, I mean, we don't need to go too deep on this, but I, for whatever reason, it made me think of South Park. And, you know, they have the, the Wheel of Fortune thing where it's like someone who bothers you. Yeah, yeah. And, and he drops the M-bomb, and the answer is naggers. Yep. You know, because, because they nag you. And uh, I, don't, I don't even know where I'm going with it, but the, what was the intent of South Park? You know, like what uh, – how do we know this? I, I am – I just well, think South Park a... doesn't live their life in a hate-free world. Mm-hmm. South Park's done something different. South Park says, hate me all you want. You know what I mean? South Park doesn't say it's unfair. I'm just saying, how come you know that South Park doesn't hate black people? Oh, what I'm saying is that South Park isn't saying you're not allowed to cr- criticize me. Or, mm-hmm. or Like, I think what a lot of people are saying is, don't pick on me. Don't run mm-hmm. news media on me. Don't, yeah, like, yeah, get like off my listen back. to my get intent. My listen yeah. to my intent and then don't pick on me, right? Got it. And what South Park says... Yeah, people are going to run hate on us. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we've accepted. It's kind of like when we talked about last week about being a celebrity means lots sure. of fame, lots of money, and lots of scrutiny. And you just accept that or you don't become a celebrity. Mm-hmm. South Park has accepted that their brand of edgy humor is going to mean a certain level of popularity and also just a certain level of hate all the time. Interesting, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Any other things that you'd written down? Yeah, I got a ton of stuff. I actually have so much that at some point when this gets too long, I'll just save it for next week. Because <laughs> uh, I have one other thing. So. They're not. They're not super. 
like time sensitive, but this one is going to tie into something time sensitive. But I thought it was cool. My buddy James Clear told me a quote that I really liked, and I just want to see what your reaction was. So Bill Belichick is one of the best, if not the best, NFL coaches of all time. Six Super Bowls. This interviewer asks him, uh, what do you have left to accomplish? Why, why do you still coach? What are you trying to accomplish? And Bill Belichick says, I'd like to go out and have a good practice today. Yeah. That would be the top of my list right now, which I think is fascinating yeah. because everybody I know, not everybody I know, but so many people I know talk about having a billion dollar business or talk about being famous or talk about whatever it is, playing Madison Square Garden. And this guy who's achieved insane excellence is so focused on the process. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just thought that was really interesting. I, uh, I don't know what to make of that because I did hear an interview with Tom Brady years ago. They asked him, like, what's the next goal? You know, which ring? And they said, the next ring. And it's just like, oh, Tom Brady wants rings. And Tom Brady's the best quarterback of all time. Bill Belichick wants practices. You know, well, what like, was the question they asked him? Uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was, which ring are you most proud of? And he said, the next ring. Okay. So that's, that's a little bit yeah, different. Yeah. That He might be focused on practice as well. Mm-hmm. But what he's saying is that he's just not satisfied with yes, the past. More. He's focused on the future. Yeah, yeah. And then you go, okay, how happy are you, Bill Belichick? I, I don't think I've ever seen you smile. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. So this is about how to achieve excellence. This is not you about how to be You could also steal plays from the Philadelphia Eagles. That, yeah. that would be really good. <laughs> you know I mean? So just to be clear, like, I don't think Bill Belichick is someone you study if you want to be yeah. happy. I think he's someone you study if you want to achieve excellence. To win Super Bowls, yeah. Yeah, well, so John, you know John Wooden? Yeah. So he's arguably maybe the best basketball coach, college basketball coach of all time. And he had a similar thing. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, I know Wooden's Pyramid. Yeah. So at the first, do you know this? The first day of every practice, every year, what he would do? No, I don't. So he was incredibly well-decorated uh, college program, right? Which meant that every year he took the best high school players in the world and recruited them to his team. And he would start the season every year by taking these star athletes. And do layups and shit. No, he would teach them how to tie their shoes. Uh. He would teach them how to put on socks and tie their shoes to prevent blisters mm. so that they wouldn't have to sit out games or practices or whatever. Like the most minute and boring thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just maybe the best coach ever. So there's this weird focusing on the process that seems to lead to consistency and, and excellence. I don't know a ton about John Wooden and I'd have to, I think it could comparison between him and Belichick might be interesting. Cause I'm really, am just going off of Belichick's resting gruff face yeah, yeah you know yeah. what i mean like, oh, he's always cranky yeah and whereas wooden the few times i've seen him seem to be in better spirits but it did seem uh, belgian and people love wooden his, his yeah. players lo- love he him. seemed this the apocryphal stories of him that i had heard was he took such a personal interest in his players mm. and cared about their lives and and their lives outside of basketball yeah. and saw it as his job to make them the best humans they could be first and yeah, yeah. the best basketballs they could play they could be second and i don't know where belichick falls on that but that seems to be a good thing <laughs> to <Yeah>. do <laughs> no just i guess it's uh it's a contrasting very hard with the joker video that's coming out on monday mm. you know where the joker is just so focused on his glory moments of get spoilers <laughs> uh we did a video on the joker it's coming out it's coming out on monday yeah spoilers if you haven't seen the joker <laughs> But he's so focused on going up to the to his idol and being on his talk show and being hero worshipped there and not focused on the minutia. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And John Wooden and Bill Belichick and these guys are just so focused on 
the next practice. Yeah. There's one scene there's one scene that I didn't use from the Joker and I kind of regretted it after. I might have made the point. We're talking about fantasy versus visualization and I use, you know, the one with Murray where he stands up, I talk about how he makes out with the girl, but there's the one scene where he's like dancing in his room with his hands above his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "You're a really good dancer." Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like you with your hands awkwardly held above your head, just imagine like, yes, people love this. Yeah. <laughs> Complete disconnect. I you what was your reaction to the movie? I know you watched it after. Yeah, I had a lot I so I had a lot of reactions to the Joker. I watched it cuz uh, cuz you had said it was good and I wanted to be able to talk about it. Number one takeaway, gratitude mm-hmm. for my mental health. Yeah. That was the absolute number one thing. Was no matter what's going on in my life, I have so much to be grateful for cuz I'm I'm not heavily medicated and miserable. The guy says he's never had a happy thought in his life. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, as you're wa- as, as I was watching it, it just felt so bad for the guy and I felt very grateful for my brain. Mm-hmm. So that was my number one takeaway. Yeah, I, I, I talked about that in the video where he says I've never had a happy moment. I was like, that's not true. Like, uh, and I, I get that that's a function of the experience that you're having and the mental illness that you have. But like, I think we see happy moments when he's dressed as a clown on Rare, you know, when he's dancing in the children's hospital uh, prior to dropping the gun. I don't know. So I think there is this sense of... Um putting a smile on sure forcing a smile on have you seen that meme where the guy's wearing a smiling mask yeah, yeah, but crying yeah. behind it uh yeah so I, I think there is a sense that it could all be fake because i was reading about the movie by the director mm-hmm. and the guy said the only genuine laugh you hear is in the very end when he's in the psych ward yeah, yeah. He, every other laugh in the movie is either his tourette's or he's faking it to try to fit in mm-hmm. even when he's laughing at murray yeah so who knows i know someone who's apparently very very depressed like suicidally depressed and it's impossible to tell when you hang out with them so they just try they just try really hard to hide it sure uh did you have any other i mean i kind of wrote my thoughts in the video uh yeah i did what was the other thing oh well this is a weird one so they talk about the worst part of mental illness is people expect you to behave as if you don't have it and for whatever reason it made me think about the fringe people who do harm because of their mental illnesses. Dude, I've been watching serial killers all morning. <laughs> yeah. No, and, 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 and I don't really have a takeaway, yeah. but there are these people. I watched the Zac Efron movie. What's, who's that one about? Ted, Ted Bundy. Bundy. And I don't know, but there, you do get the sense that it's a compulsion, that he cannot help it because he's he has been arrested for potential murders, escapes, and goes out and does a murder when what he should do is just go to Mexico and hide, right, or something. And so it does appear like it's compulsive for some people totally no 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 i mean Dahmer and bundy say as much and i sure i'm just saying listen i'm not in their brains i'm not trying to excuse their behavior at all no no but there's a sense of what do we do what does society do when when you have these people who are born with brain chemistry that makes it so that they have to hurt other people and they ask Dahmer point blank in jail would you be doing it again if you're out there he's like yeah probably like uh once it happened he said the first time kind of happened by accident i was fantasizing but once the cat was out of the bag uh it was not going to stop. Yeah. And I was going to and, – and he was running up against getting caught. They were both doing things that were flagrantly like, if you're trying to get away with this, this isn't how you go about it. Dude, that's it. what I'm saying. Ted Bundy – I don't know if people know this, but Ted Bundy <laughs> murdered some people, was not getting caught. Someone called in. Uh, they got a picture of him, basically sketched out. He was arrested as a suspect, but not necessarily going to jail. Yeah. He escapes, and the first thing he does – is go to a different state and murder three people. Yeah. 
that is not what you would do if you were a cold calculated murderer. You mm. would wait a little bit, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's cra- it's a crazy story when you watch it. Well, I was I was looking at these guys for a video and I haven't figured out where it might fit or not, but it's, you know, how to spot a psychopath and a couple of things. One, it's really hard. Like Ted Bundy when you watch him speak is they talk about it he's genuinely articulate he's a convincing liar i watched some of them on the stand at no point was i like oh this guy and i think a lot of people probably felt the same way he killed 30 people mm-hmm. you know like there was it had to be a ton of evidence against him uh i was like yeah you know how do you spot this yes in retrospect it's like they have no empathy for the things they've done but you have to know what they've done at that point yeah like, yeah uh, they they are incredibly calm. They're incredibly risky. That's the other thing you talked about. This he just goes in the uh, the the pro con calculation that anyone else would run. Would Dude, be he skips like, arrest twice. Yeah, he does not think to himself, okay, there's a chance I get off without getting into trouble, and if I try to escape from prison, I'm definitely going to get in trouble. Or like I have a five year sentence, but this will be a life sentence. He just goes, oh, I see an opportunity to escape. I'm out of here, mm-hmm. and just takes it twice. Yeah, it's crazy. So I was looking at these other guys. I mentioned to you the Charles Manson thing. Very interesting because Charles Manson, I would say, of all the people, is the most synonymous with uh, murderer in That's America. what happens when you put a swastika tattoo yeah, on your yeah. head. So, I mean, uh, you get very memorable. Actually, I want to ask because I've kind of spoiled it. Justin, for you, when you think serial killer or mass murderer or anybody, who's the number one person that comes to your mind? American. I, Let's go American. Maybe either the Zodiac Killer or Ted okay. Bundy. The Zodiac. Okay. Saw the two movies. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. The Zodiac Killer. Yeah. So you maybe it's weird. I think of the Unabomber. I I was thinking Unabomber. When you tell me like like murderer with a mental illness, for some reason I think of the Unabomber. Sure. Did that so, happen when we were kids? I don't remember, man. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. I'm just thinking maybe that's why he, maybe that's why it sticks out. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, that was right. So anyway, I guess maybe it's not Charles Manson, but he's one of the guys. The new movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, comes out. He's he's notorious and infamous for his thing but i realize a lot of people don't know any of these people's stories really yeah. like was it ted bundy or jeffrey dahmer that killed men you know uh if you've seen the movie you know but like if you haven't yeah these are notorious names without an understanding of the crime and charles manson's is fascinating mm-hmm. in the sense that i started out and i might have a good video in there i think i have one on cults and i don't know if people care at all about cults but yeah. i've got a, i've got good stuff on cult behavior oh, i think people would if the video was just how to how to form a cult yeah <laughs> okay how to i form think that would cult. do well so so there's a couple angles that I, I wanted to mention the first is that uh man the charles manson thing i obviously wasn't at the funeral or sorry the uh the trial but watching him interact you definitely the guy's mentally ill yep. clearly he was raised in prison his mother was a prostitute he's been incarcerated his whole life his ability to uh, speak and even self-advocate is hyper limited like mm-hmm. he just goes off and then he looks at you and he gets crazy and he's got a swastika on his head which was originally an x which was but when you do listen to him talk and i haven't i haven't seen the evidence against him it is interesting because what everyone agrees upon is that he did not kill anyone yeah it, i was shocked when i found that out everyone agrees upon this fact is that people who were in the Charles Manson family, which was the group of mostly women and one guy, uh, that he told them to commit these murders. Allegedly. Well, uh, legally, he that's what it was. Now, but when I watch this, I will say it's in the simple Diane Sawyer documentary that I watched for an hour, so there might be evidence I'm not aware of. Uh, they did not present evidence 
that I found convincing. It's that, the the murder. The people that did the murder say that he yes that he that yes, he told them to. said it uh, months after, like defended yeah. him through the trial. Uh, we, you know, and then said we were all brainwashed, which is absolutely possible. Sure, it's possible. Uh, and but and I haven't seen all the evidence. But one of the things that really struck me was I forget the exact words, and I don't want to put them, but. The prosecutor is talking about how he knew at the onset it was going to be really tough to get this Manson guy, but that was what he wanted to do. And I was like, wait a second. Why did you want to get him at the onset of the investigation? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did you uh, – and maybe he misspoke. Maybe I'm, – I'm trying to really not uh, – I'm trying to represent the limited information that I have from yeah. a single documentary. Well, incentives are weird in law because a prosecutor's job is not to find the truth. A prosecutor's job is to find the person guilty, to, to present evidence that makes the person look guilty yes. to the best of his ability. And the defense attorneys is not to tell you – whether his client is innocent or guilty. Sure. It's to assume he's innocent and try as hard as you can to prove his innocence. And the thing that got me the most was uh, during the trial, President Richard Nixon gets on air and says, Charles Manson is a killer. He did it. That depraved guy, yada, yada, yada. New York Times runs it. Nixon says Charles Manson. Yeah, yeah. And Charles Manson is holding up this paper in court. And they go for a mistrial and they don't get it. How does the president of the United States of America get to nationally condemn someone yeah. and not have a mystery? I mean, I was blown away by this. Yeah, yeah. And so then you listen to him. He's like, well, he drew a swastika on his head. This guy's messed up. Well, he's, he, you really have to work to interpret what he says. But what he does say in a separate interview is this is because these are the Nuremberg trials. And you guys don't care about the truth. You just want to lock me up. And so if you don't know the Nuremberg trials or where all the Nazis after the war were essentially, you know, all put in a room and said, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad by the winning side of the war. Yeah. Uh, they were bad, though. So, uh, sure, sure. But I think that what there was – well, actually, I don't know. I don't know. Easy. I'm Jewish. I don't know a single I get to play thing the Jew card about card. a single Careful. person. Careful. I'll cancel you. I'll get Justin in here in your seat. <laughs> it's totally possible that there were people in the Nuremberg – and I don't know any of their names. Yeah, I don't know anything but, about yeah, it. It's possible that there were people there that uh, – were clerks or whatever. I, I don't know what they did. And sure. yeah, sure, maybe Goebbels was in there too. And it was like, okay, you, you're a you, you bad guy. You're, you're a bad guy. <laughs> you're a bad guy. For sure, you. <laughs> maybe not you. Definitely you. Uh, but I thought, I mean, it's it's fascinating to see. And I and I'm like, all right, you know what? Forty years after the guy's already dead, I'm not going to investigate whether mm -hmm. this is true or not. But I did not feel totally comfortable. Uh, making a singular like charles manson is bad video so what i stepped back to was a cult video yeah i think and, it's more interesting anyway well and he definitely has cult-like aspects of what he does but here's the problem so you look at all these things cults. sociologists have to find it i'll read you uh some of the the key indicators of a cult okay so you know there's charismatic leader that is the voice of god they're just have... going to describe a church to me <laughs> I'm going to describe every organization to you, essentially. Okay. Uh, there's mind control, which is like, what's persuasion and what's mind control? What do you mean mind control? Yeah. Uh, and then there's some sort of exploitation, sexual, financial, otherwise. Now, again, uh, the voice of God, uh, this is not to pick on anybody because I'm going to do this for a lot of organizations. I don't know how the Pope could be anything less than the voice of God on earth. Yeah. Uh, mind control. I mean, what is that's just persuasion uh, of any kind. Well, the Pope, people, I think, gets to say what is and isn't 
allowed by God, right? Doesn't he get to call audibles and say homosexuality is now? Uh, popes have, uh, but it mind, yeah, persuasive ability. Come on, everyone has mind control to a degree. That's kind of a lame point in there, I think. And then financial exploitation. I mean, there's been tithing and all of these things going on. So that's not just the church. Okay, uh, let's go to the other things that they say. The seven things that sort sure. of mark how they get people. They're at a crossroads in their lives, oftentimes. There is a soft sell, like they kind of boil the frog. Uh, they introduce them to a new reality. There is a strong, powerful, often dear leader that they look up to. There's an enemy uh, that they need to combat. There's tremendous amount of peer pressure. And then optional— Sounds is, like an MLM. Dude, it sounds like the army. You're at a crossroads in your life. You just graduated high school. There's a soft sell where you go in and you talk to a recruiter. He introduces you to a new reality where you join your brothers. There's a dear leader. There's an enemy, of course. There's a ton of peer pressure. They separate you from your friends and family. And I think when I'm looking at this cult thing, cult, what you realize is just a value judgment. Yeah. Like every human organization that is effective has these things going on. And in the ones that are especially effective, sneak peek, this is in the video, have a family aspect. They become your surrogate family. Your brothers, yeah. Your brothers, uh, your, the father. Like, and I think what that's tapping into is the neurochemistry of what is the strongest bond that a human can possibly feel it's with family it's mm -hmm. with kin how do we get people to interact with strangers well we convince them and we use terms that are kin. Yeah, sure you don't take a bullet for an acquaintance you take a bullet for a brother exactly and so and this isn't again i need to make clear i'm not saying catholic church bad in this case i'm not saying army bad i'm not saying any of this but what i am saying is that cult is just the word that we put onto organizations that we don't like <laughs> and really all organizations i mean i'm, I'm looking at i thought you're gonna say apple apple is that was the other one I was dear leader apple. enemy peer pressure like exploiting <laughs> workers yeah, yeah uh and and you know the the exploitation of of people is like well this is the other thing and this is perhaps for a lot of people more of a leap but any time that you're accepting a wage at a company, their gamble is that they're making more off of you than they are paying you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not being fairly compensated in their eyes, certainly. They think that you're more valuable to them. And if you're not, you get cut. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was like, how do I make this video? I think that's kind of what I have to point out, which is these are, these are the tenets of getting humans to organize behind any cause. And then whether it's good or bad, is truly, I mean, you can think of the civil rights mo movement. In, in well, I think cases. what's special about a cult, or unique at least, is that it's it's started by an individual with no prior from above, like enforcement. So, like the U.S. military has the stamp of approval of the U.S. government, mm -hmm. right? And Apple is a company that grew slowly, building a product, et cetera. Whereas the Charles Manson cult, you could say, is one person just can quickly, more quickly form this organization through maybe a more extreme force of personality. Sure. I don't use force of personality, I mean bad. But I, if I think about the, if I had to say the difference, it's the cults seem to come from nowhere and they they form rather quickly. Well, I mean, the joke that, I, that Reza Aslan said is uh, cults plus time equals religion. Yeah. Which is, you know, uh, Jesus, Muhammad, pick your prophet, uh, Joseph Smith, like the, these were just young religions at the time. Mm -hmm. And then you add some time and space and now there's an organization and a, and a, a bureaucracy behind it. It's sure. no longer that one this individual. Isn't, this isn't to say that – this is actually not to disagree with anything you've said, but I wonder if one of the things that gets you labeled a cult is if the behavior you create is counterculture, if that makes sense. So yeah. like – Apple sells phones. Nothing crazy about that, right? Uh, who is it? 
that went to Portland and started doing a bunch of acid. There's a documentary that you and Reed love. Bogwan? Yeah. Bogwan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, why was he considered a cult? Of all of these reasons. Because it was yeah. free sex and, yeah. you know, crazy drug use and this and that. If he had gone there and what they'd been all hyped about was sustainable farming, probably wouldn't have been called a cult. Sure. So I wonder if, not definitionally, but experientially, what makes it a cult is when what they do is so crazy can, compared to the culture they're in. Exactly. You're saying it's, uh, this is outside of the norm. You know, it's, it's basically the word barbarian, which is to say a barbarian is anyone that isn't a Roman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like those are the other people. That's what a cult is. It's an other organization of yeah. people. Uh, it made me think, and, and I don't mean to put value judgments on any of these things today, of Choice Center, which is a uh, personal development program that I went to. I got a lot out of. I don't necessarily recommend it because they have this, the soft sell becomes a hard sell and, you know, I can't get into that. But they do soft sell you in there. They introduce you to a new reality. They keep you in this high pressure situation. There's a guy at the front of the room that is the instructor and the dear leader. Like the enemy is more of a, and I don't know, the enemy is, you know, the other people that don't kind of do this stuff and don't get it. But the peer pressure is so heavy. Yeah. I haven't told the story on the air, but there's one moment where they're trying to get you to go from uh, level two to level three. Uh, of the group and you technically you actually pay for all three of them so it's not additional financial commitment in this case it's additional time commitment well and level three is all about selling your family and friends into choice center no, so there's ben. a level three <laughs> is all about enrollment into a vision of your friends and family joining Center. got it yeah. got it so um, there is a financial incentive for them to get you completely. from level two to level three yes totally but it's called enrollment. You're their free sales not force. Sales, ben. Sorry. You're their free enrollment force. <laughs> uh, I have to write that down. There's also a, a lingo that defines a cult. You know what I mean? They, yeah, they, yeah. You they, make your own little you language. You make your own little language. Uh, so at one point, they play this song. And again, they've created, at this point in me, valuable, profound changes that I am grateful for yeah. that have stuck with me, even to this day, if not in the same force, in some degree. So they're sitting there and they're playing this this song that'll bring tears to your eyes because it's been conditioned repeatedly to be associated with like the eyes of the thing. And you're like there with these people who three days ago you didn't know, but now you are – they're your family. Everybody's saying family. And you're holding their hands and you're all sitting in your chairs and your eyes are closed. And the song you know, gets to a point where it says, rise up. And the instructor is talking to, and if you're if you're in for level three, rise up now, stand up now. And I feel my hand goes up. This guy stands up, and this person stands up. And the amount I I have never felt, perhaps since I was six, the the amount of peer pressure that I felt in that moment mm -hmm. as this music is playing, my eyes are closed. Your hands know, are being my hands are know being your lifted. neighbors are standing. Stand up if you're going to join, and we're in a circle. Everyone, as soon as the eyes open, they will immediately see who is not sitting. And yeah. all that I know is 100% of the people I can check on are standing yeah, up. Yeah. But across the circle, there might be someone. There might be, there might be solidarity. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sitting here going, don't do it. And oh my God, I have to stand up. I need to, I need to, I need to. And I don't know what kept me doing it. Just this like. Well, you're, you have a, you're, a, I think, a special case. You feel very strongly that once you say you will do yes. something, that you have to do it. Yes. And I think there were probably people who felt they could – not even felt it. I, not pre-planned. No, caught up in the moment. There were people who planned. I talked to them after. Like, dude, I'm not coming. But I just had to because it was Because of the pressure. Sure. Yeah. So they stand up and then that to them is not a commitment. Yes. And because you've read Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. Oh, it is. You feel very strongly that if you stand up and say, I'm going to level three – now you have to attend level well, three. To be clear, the, so that's the soft sell. Afterwards, they give you a paper where you sign your name on it and you say you're coming back for level three. Yeah. 
Uh, <laughs> they're trying to get you with consistency. Consistency, small steps. Yeah. And again, this, but that's what I think kept you rooted in your seat is you feel very strongly that you have to keep your commitments. Yes. And so <laughs> I open my eyes at the end of it and it's me. It's a class of 70 people or so. Uh, and it's a big, I think it might be two semicircles or whatever, but there's me and maybe two other people of the 70 who are not standing. Wow. At the end of it. Did and you feel then, shamed or did you feel like a boss? Uh, I felt as soon as we finally broke, I could breathe a little bit. I was like, once not, the eyes were open once. No, 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 no. Once, once they're like, okay, everybody go get a snack. No, I'm saying 10 minutes eyes later. open. Your hands are being held up in the air by your neighbors. 67 people are standing. You and two others are sitting. What is your emotion? So uh, at that point, thank God the decision has been made. I can't stand up now. Like the, the moment of highest intensity was when I could, could have stood up. Got it. So then re- it was relief, relief, but also shame in that moment uh, and it and an understanding that i was going to receive a lot of questions but pride because i was like i took the hard road and everything from here out is easier because yeah. now i don't have to go back on my word and um i think it's an awesome move i think it's such a baller move well then everyone afterward came up to me i was like you're not coming you're not coming you got to come and and it's and it's you know did anyone come up to you though and say dude respect for sitting no wow no Interesting. I thought for sure someone would be like, dude, oh, I, maybe I didn't one wanna, other person that's not coming. I didn't want to stand, but I felt peer pressure. Good for you for sitting. One person was like, I'm not coming back either. Don't, <laughs> I'm not don't tell him. Though. Don't tell him. Hold on, I got to sign this thing. Sam. <laughs> I got to sign this thing. And which is funny because they also uh, they preach integrity. Now, again, not to. Oh, of course. I mean, so and no knock on them, but just a little behind the curtain here. The, the way you would do this a little how to form a cult preview. You first you mentioned that integrity and consistency and sticking with your commitments is fundamental to life success. You highlight how not committing and not sticking to your word, they did this in Landmark too, yeah. is is the one of the key forces that's ruining your life, right? So everybody's bought in what that you have to be someone who has integrity. Then the peer pressure comes in to get you to verbally commit that you're going to do something. Yeah. And then after you've committed, they reinforce the Remember, by the way, remember, you've committed. Remember, if yeah. you don't come to this, your whole life's basically going to suck. And then if you don't show up, they'll call you and they'll say, hey, what's up? Remember commitment. Remember this. Mm-hmm. Remember your whole life's going to suck. So there's, there's a ton you're, of... You're even missing steps, man. So like, think of this. It but goes, I'm saying that there's layers. There's layers of... There's twice as many layers as that. Yeah. So from, from day one, you're talking to a friend of yours, a dear friend who says, this changed my life. You've got to just look at it. Just check it out. Okay, look at it. Check it out. You know, and then her friend who also went and they're coming in. You don't realize that at this point, they're at level three themselves and they are receiving tremendous amounts of peer pressure to sell other people into the course because if they don't hit the number that they promised they would say, they're out of integrity you think that the only motivator which is a part of it is so that they want they're looking out for, for charlie you. but they're also aggressively looking out for themselves because they're getting hawked by their their team basically volunteer boss yes okay so they get that and then you go check it out you do this and then okay it's a down payment you don't have to pay the whole thing right you know say so that's the first soft sell and then you do pay the whole whatever in this case it's like 25 or 2700 dollars. and then you get into the room the first day you sit down and they read you a list of rules that they did not tell you when you signed up for the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot chew gum. You cannot this. You cannot this. If you did, and, I, and I'm sitting there going, I can't be in integrity with all of this. Like, yeah. uh, you, by being here today, you agree that you will be here all four days. And I'm going, why would, I, why would that be the case? Yeah. Uh, why wouldn't I judge you on the value that you give to me as you give it to me and not show up if you begin to waste my time? Yeah. And they go, and if you're, and within the first hour of being there, and if you can't do this, you know, stand up now and walk out. And you're like, I just paid $2,700 for this. I just paid $2,700 for this. There are, 
there are no refunds. You know, like there's I paid twenty seven hundred dollars. Uh, the the friend of mine is so excited that I'm here and so counting on me to be here and wants and and I've been conver- I'm I'm now open to this, but like now you're gonna get me in. Now you show me these rules. Yeah. Like, uh, and so they get you with that, and I stood up and I was a headache at every stage, man. They I was uh, I told you this. I'll tell the people. There's one moment. And you were not supposed to talk about this, so I'm technically out of integrity. But quite frankly, I think that the way that they handle integrity is, uh, you can see, it's pretty poor. Convenient. Convenient to them. Uh, They do not keep their end of the integrity bargain. Still a useful program for many people. I've I've sent and paid for three people to go because they think it's valuable despite this. But there's one moment. Where they essentially, I want to give the they they give you feedback into how people perceive you, and I was both both the most admired person and the most hated person. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 70 people, and some people, you know, have you know they're not admired, they're not hated. I was uh, such a headache <laughs> that I was I was both. Yeah, and the people that were feeling the same thing as me were like. That's our champion. And the people yeah. were like, dude, just shut, sit down and shut up with these, you know. Okay, I don't know if I can follow this rule. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so. Uh, wh- was that true of everyone? Was there anyone that was, was beloved? So, 70, 70 people or whatever. Was anyone that yeah. was beloved by 35 people and not hated by anyone? No, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually painting myself worse than I was. I was the, I had the most positive and probably the second or third most negative. Okay. Uh, and but my was, question is, so you have the most positive. There and was, the third there was most no negative. other clear positive after that. It was like people in their group that they'd gotten. Oh, to. you were the only one that stood out. <sighs> I, I, that's well, not... I'm just trying to highlight a potential principle here, which is that the only way – is it true that the only way to get that admiration is to to stand up for something that people might not like? Because it reminds me of that story. Not only. There was another guy who did very – who had a lot. but So I would say it was me – him and then people that connected with smaller groups of people so they would have three or four well, it reminds me of that law you know that law story about the guy that calls people out for cheating you'll yeah. know it better than me it's stephen covey i yeah, think yeah, or yeah. his son it reminds me of that story i don't know if you want to tell that story because i just briefly uh i mentioned it on the channel there's a test this guy's at law school uh, the professor walks out says don't cheat <laughs> leaves the room uh within minutes everybody's looking over the shoulder to open the books and this guy who was like oh crap I'm in law school, but I'm older. I left my family. I got a kid at home, and I'm now in a class of people who are a bunch of cheaters is sitting there. Doesn't yeah, know if I don't cheat, do. I'm going to do worse if, than these guys. If I don't cheat, I'm screwed. What do I do? He's having this crisis of conscience. And in the back of the room, somebody stands up and says, hey, everyone, sit down. Do not talk. Go back to your seats. If you do not do this, I'm going to go to the professor because I haven't given up my life to – to lose and, and, and interact in, in this sort of way with a bunch of people who are yeah, not Yeah, I'm gonna not going to cheat, but I didn't just quit my job and and sacrifice so much to yeah. lose to a bunch of people that do cheat, basically. Yes. We're all going to take this fairly or I'm going to go report yeah. it. And, and people hate him for it. In that moment, certainly the people that are called out are yeah. livid, and they but they do go back, and uh, it was a tense moment. Probably made a lot of people not like him, but he's like very quickly. And then certainly by the end of this two or three years, this he was the class president he was the guy yeah. that people admired looked out after and uh well i wonder if there's a thing there though of like doing the doing the hard thing is controversial but ultimately earns you respect yeah totally totally and and there there were other guys that earned respect just by doing the insightful thing you know and he and he got uh, there i don't mean to say that i was the only person that people liked in that room at all there were people that had a better differential than i did it's like if i had x amount of people but you took away the people that disliked me 
There was a guy yeah, who just had you're all plus, You're plus four. <laughs> plus four. Someone else is plus seven because <laughs> yeah. they're plus seven minus zero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then, honestly, it makes me think I wonder of, if there's another principle of, say, of saying what people are afraid to say. Yes. I yes. wonder if, if there's a formula where – or not a formula. I wonder if one of the easiest ways to get respect is to say what people are afraid to say. Well, it's, exa- it's not easy. That's why. Because it's it, – One of the quickest ways to get respect. Definitely quick. Definitely quick. One of the quickest quick. ways to get respect is to say things – Say the thing that people are Afraid. thinking but are scared to say. I mean, that's – like it or not, uh, you, can, you can disagree with the stance, but certainly that, that's what put Jordan Peterson on the map. Yeah. Uh, that's what put uh, Donald Trump in a way on the map. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you can think that the people that support him uh, are wrong in their beliefs, yeah. but they articulated a voice that, that wasn't being articulated and therefore – Because it's scary yeah. to say. Um. And so, again, all of this, everything we've been talking about, interestingly enough, is value judgment neutral. Uh, you can use all of these compliance building tools to give people one of the most valuable experiences of their life. You can use it to destroy their life or mm-hmm. you can do a little bit of column little, A, yeah, column yeah. B. No, Choice Center certainly you would say valuable while there are things you dislike about yes, it. Yes, 100%. And it reminded me like the, the oaths that you take of integrity and to never speak of this again, which is what a ludicrous thing. Like it reminds me of fraternities who are like, never give away the secret handshake. It's like, I'm 18, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to make me make an oath for well, life to join your club? Great call on their part because I've totally forgotten the secret handshake. So I will take it to my grave. But there's things that you can never say, right, that are uh, not – you You can't see the logic in why you would never share the secret handshake, for instance. Yeah. And it's just you, when you make someone promise something for life in order to gain access to your organization, which that you've, you've made them desperately want – yeah. You're setting up a situation in which, of of course, integrity is going to be breached. Like, yeah, yeah. Also, Phi Chi Phi to all my brothers out there. <laughs> also. <laughs> Anyhow. I got was... another Joker thing. One more Joker One thing. One more Joker. So this is a question I had for you, actually, that the movie spurned in my brains. So his interest in stand-up comedy leads to an interesting question for me because – he loves stand-up comedy, allegedly, right? And he pursues it doggedly in the face of a lack of talent, right? Do When you have a dream, should you pursue just that one dream? Should you try multiple things? Should you go where your dream is or where your talent is? Like, how does one decide this? Because there's someone out there who wants to be a professional actor who's not good at acting or who wants to be a professional rock star, mm-hmm. but does not have the ability to quickly pick up the guitar while certainly they could eventually get to a level of proficiency. They don't just take to it. You know what I mean? Like I'm really good at kinesthetic stuff. When you put me in a wrestling class, I'm just good at it. When you give me a guitar, I'm awful at it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So how do you decide what to pursue and how do you decide when a dream is out of reach i don't know man <laughs> so like i'm thinking of the examples you know chris pratt who got in his van and moved to hawaii slash california and showed up and now he's guardians of the galaxy you know everybody yeah. get in your vans <laughs> move to california kick it around yeah, be homeless like, be homeless uh you know trade your your headshot for like and what he <laughs> had what he had was talent as well he was he's very funny or the ability to quickly cultivate talent. I don't sure. know what he had when he came here. And then for every Chris Pratt, there's a hundred people that aren't him. Yes, yeah, so this is my. I have a. I have a kind of working theory, but I'd be curious. Do you have anything? I'll give you a, a, a spitballed theory, which is, I've heard Ira Glass of NPR say this. He says the most important thing you can start with is good taste. 
because good taste will tell you how good you are and how good you're not. And of course, good taste is subjective. Mm -hmm. uh, if you'd introduced Billie Eilish's music six, seven years ago to people, they'd be like, this is weird. Yeah. But now it's the, she, she ushered in this new type of, uh, I don't mean this in a derogatory, whisper singing, which is, yeah, yeah. is kind of her flavor. Uh, so catchy, dude. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know it's not cool to like it, but <laughs> oh, it is cool. I do like oh, it. Oh, she's, she's the hottest thing right now. At least the two songs I know I like. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know. I'd be curious what your theory is. Ira Glass says good taste is is the thing that will help steer you of should I continue, should I not continue? So what I what I was thinking, and I was thinking of this in terms of more like what skills should I try to learn? Like your early stages, right? Should I try to be a stand-up comic? Should mm -hmm. I try to be an, a UFC fighter? Uh, and what I came up with was to do the thing you'll be glad you did regardless of your success. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, so, like, so the, the systems building and the public speaking, which has ports to a variety of different experiences right well guess what i was thinking is i liked improv comedy oh, okay. so i enjoyed it if i wanted to be a professional improv comedian the path to being a professional improv comedian was to take a lot of classes i enjoyed and do performances i liked so even if i failed i could look back and go good use of five years mm -hmm. i loved mma right i think i could have ended up as like a low-level ufc fighter i was never going to be champion but i liked every step of the way practicing and then when i saw someone get i think paralyzed in the ring basically and carried Knocked out, out. And, no it's stretchered out did it, you were there they he, defibrillated his heart he got paralyzed they said that he was awake they never said anything else the only okay. announcement they made was hey guys it wasn't good he's not dead was yeah. the only announcement they made i went okay well i don't want to do that anymore right but up until that point I still, every moment was enjoyable. The grueling practices, practicing mm -hmm. five hours a day, two a days. I loved it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Versus if I had seen Conor McGregor on TV and gone, I want to be a UFC fighter because he's making $100 million, but I hated the practices. I think I wouldn't have been able to be successful. And when I wasn't successful, it would have been a huge waste of time. Sure. So that's the best hypo That's the best working thing I have. It's like if you're the Joker and you want to be a stand-up comedian and you love attending and studying other stand-up comics and writing jokes and working in your joke book awesome because even if all you do is make an extra 100 bucks a week at your highest peak doing a performance you've you've enjoyed the journey yeah. and then if you become jerry seinfeld great like that's what that's yeah, what you're yeah. aiming for that's the best thing i came up with in terms sure. of how do you pick what to i agree what and, to learn and the if, if you're between things i think uh which of these skills ports so being able to stand up in front of a crowd and comfortably speak uh, which you might learn in stand-up comedy is so useful. Yeah, like that's that is a life skill. Whether or not you're telling jokes, but to be in front of people, take a deep breath on stage. Um, that's useful in conversation. That's useful when you're leading a team. All those different kinds of things. So, improv is is like that a lot. Improv yeah, improv is great. incredible for that. But what I was thinking in terms of that's why I like that rule more than what are you talented at? Because mm -hmm. we were not talented at charisma when we first started, mm -hmm. but we really liked the learning of it. We'd yeah, go yeah. out and have mediocre interactions, but we'd be stoked because they were better than the below mediocre yeah. interactions we had a week prior. And so it was fun the entire time, and it was very motivating. And so that was, that's what made me think. I think we got really good. You know, I think we got to a point we're very happy with. And I was like, well, how did that happen? It wasn't by pursuing my talents. No, no. But it was by pursuing something that I liked the journey. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Totally. So, I agree. Yeah, that was, I was just a question. I was curious if you had anything. Because I, I see his struggles with stand-up comedy, and I think a lot of people are pursuing dreams that they won't ever be – the top 0.001% that makes $100 million doing it. Mm -hmm. So the question I had was, who should pursue what? So yeah, that's what I came up with. I agree. Cool. I'm in. Anything else before we do questions? No, no, let's do it. I got other stuff. Hit Can me. we take a pee break? Go for it.
questions. So the first one is from Marco, and he... Hi, Marco. Hello, sir. He says, how can I overcome the insecurity of being a 22-year-old virgin? This is a hard one. So I think uh, I, uh, I lost mine when I was 19. And so I, every age is going to feel different. But I think what you're experiencing is a sense that, one, you're late. The people around you are doing it, even at 19. I experienced that. Two, I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, this is going to not go well yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it happens. True for everyone. Uh, and Very rarely is anyone's first time excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then those those things conspire and then the time goes by oh my god is it going to happen and then you put more pressure on the situation so that you don't become 23 24 40 you know whatever yeah. um so i can relate to that at at some level because i experienced those those feelings even at 19 when many of my friends had done it and i was on the tail end the insecurity how do you get over it quite frankly I don't know that I did at that age. So maybe Ben has better advice than me. But so what it was for me was uh, rather than focusing on my status as a virgin, I was not focused, but uh, more interested in starting a relationship. You know, like like not like checking this off the bucket list so much of like, oh my God, I have to lose my virginity. But like, I would like to have a girlfriend mm. became more important. And because it was a relationship at that point, it was a safer environment sure. where I could be terrible <laughs> at sex. You know, I was never did it before, and uh, say that this is the case. And uh, the one thing with regards to talking about it that I would recommend is uh, every time we talk about telling the truth, be like, "Hey, like, don't you don't need to make a huge deal about it." Like, uh, "Hey." this is the case i've never had sex and maybe it's for religious reasons or this or that it just you know never happened for me so i wanted you to know you know and and if i have questions or, or things for you yeah, like, i think for please, a lot of things please let me know people are going to ping off you so especially when you're talking to a woman that you're dating or let's say you've kissed someone and it's the third date and you're thinking about sleeping with them the, to the extent that you make this a big deal you say listen i know this is a huge deal i'm really embarrassed about it but i wanted to tell you because i think it's really important i'm a virgin okay You've just told her how important to make it versus if you go like, hey, listen, this might be like a little strange, but I just figured I should get it out there. Like, I've not had sex before. Mm -hmm. Probably going to have a lesser reaction. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to ping off of you. They're going to ping off of how you present it and ultimately how you feel about it. You mm -hmm. know, so I I think that it's, it's only as big a deal as you make it. Actually, one of the things that the thing I thought when I heard this question was, when does this matter? Mm hmm. Like I'm not, everybody has their own insecurities, so I'm not trying to belittle it, but 98% of my life, it wouldn't matter if I was a virgin or not at, oh, thir at 32. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> all my interactions with my friends would be the same. All my interactions with women at bars could be the same. All my interactions on dating apps could be the same. Like it would really only matter when I was getting someone naked in my apartment, I guess. Well, I think that's because what you are not imagining this person is experiencing is trepidation at every step up. Oh my God, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? I really like her. Sure, I don't well, want I her guess to... what, I'm, what I'm trying to message to, to Marco mm -hmm. is that this is only as big a deal as you make. Like no one, only a very small number of the people that I interact with in my life care that I've had sex. Mm -hmm. Most of them, it's like I'm a virgin. You know yeah. what I mean? Like our, our friendship 
has not been impacted much mm -hmm. by what happens in my apartment when the doors close. Yeah. So if, so, so if I had to switch the focus, it would be, okay, rather from checking this off and then completing, it is a weird thing. Like you have this status as never, and then you're all of a sudden in the category of have done it. And then yeah, yeah. everything, you're no longer a virgin. Like, it's easy for me to say, but I guess what I'm saying is there's, there's not much to be insecure about here. Like everybody was a virgin at some point and it doesn't impact anyone. Well, this is perhaps worth digging into Marco for yourself. And just to bring out like a, uh, because what Ben is saying, why do you feel insecure? You, you yeah, must think question. It, like you, if you've never gone skydiving, you go, I've never gone skydiving. And the skydiving instructor's like, have you done this before? You'd be like, no, <laughs> I've never yeah, done yeah. this before. So it's, and I, and I know that this might seem self-evident, but dig into what do I think this says about me? What like, and, and is that true? Mm -hmm. This is kind of the cognitive behavioral therapy thing. You, my suspicions that you think that it means you're not attractive or that you're not man enough or that you can't make a woman that you're dating happy. Uh, and I would really interrogate whatever you find out to be those beliefs. And I think that you'll find what it might mean is that you're, it's your first time doing something. You might not be excellent at it. What it means is you haven't had sex yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all it means. Yeah, it doesn't and, mean and that it, you're a loser. It doesn't mean that you're ugly. It literally sure. just means you haven't put your penis inside a vagina yet. Sure. So Or whatever other orifice or inside you're interested a butthole. in. <laughs> uh, and the, the only thing to consider there is, yes, perhaps there's... Uh, I'm going to have some questions. I'm a newbie at this. Uh, the person I'm, you know, they might have some questions for me, but yeah, it doesn't need to reflect on your masculinity, fitness as a, as a lifelong partner and any sort of thing. It's just like, okay, maybe the first times are going to be a bit no, and also, uncomfortable or awkward or whatever. And that's totally, totally okay. As you, as you figure it out. Yeah, it is. It, it, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is ultimately it, all that matters here is your own belief about yourself. I'm very confident that I could, I wouldn't because it would be dishonest, but that I could go on a date, say, hey, I'm 32 and I'm a virgin and it would be a non-issue because of how I would not care about it at all. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you just, if I had to, because someone had kidnapped my family and said, you have to yeah. tell a girl you're a virgin and then have sex with her. Like mm -hmm. I could do it yeah. uh, because it doesn't mean anything to me and it would just be a non-issue and that would be screamed from the way i presented it yeah yeah yeah. so yeah this is real like I, that's what i'm trying to say i'm not trying to minimize your feelings i'm just trying to say just so you know this is a this real isn't a thing that's this happening is a real world. non-issue yeah, yeah. in my opinion and to the extent that you could convince yourself it was as unimportant as i think it is and how little it says about you as i think it says about you then it would be a non-issue yeah, yeah that's my that is my feeling i think Got it. any any trip ups you have about this is only because you think that it says something about you and that is conveyed when you present it. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. And then just to summarize, I think the way in is to investigate what you think subconsciously it says yeah. about you and dismantle those negative beliefs. Yeah. There's a really good book called Feeling Good. It's mm -hmm. about cognitive behavior therapy. And, and I think that there's an exercise in there that would be really helpful. Yeah. It's the, if, you know, if, if she finds out that I'm a virgin, then she will do this. And, the, and then if she does this, it'll make, and what you'll find is you think that your virginity means a lack of love. And I think you'll find that that. Or you think that by saying, if I tell someone I'm a virgin, they're going to think I'm a huge loser. Yeah. And that that's why it terrifies you. And if you just walked around the world as if it weren't a big deal and it didn't mean you were a huge loser, I think people wouldn't think it meant you were a huge loser. Yep. Cool. Next question. Next is from Afo. And he says, I have to write the essays for an MBA program I want to apply to. In simple terms, I have to answer the question, why are you good enough to attend our school? During this, I realized that I defined myself in my life by entering or not to the MBA program, MBA program. How do I stop evaluating if my life is good enough through things which have no real value? Mm. Good for you for realizing it. That's that's a not always an easy 
thing to do. Uh, I think what often helps for me, I, I guess I'm a, I'm a pen and not a pen and paper. I often type these sorts of things is to, uh, is to take a look at the present tense situation, which is where am I now? Like, what do I actually think is the case? I think this MBA is my value as a human. I think this because X, Y, and Z, uh, and to see what's going on behind the scenes in your subconscious mind that is driving you. And then you would write like, here's what I would like to be my values or what I like, you know, I would like to define myself further by, uh, the amount of quality people that, that, you know, hold me in high esteem or the way that I feel about the work that I'm doing at any given level or the quality of, did you say MFB, like a MBA or was MBA. it? Got it. Got, business. got it. Got it. Or like even the quality of business that I, that I start. So, uh, secondly, and this maybe is just a tag on to the first thing I said, I think that people search for, uh, hangers of validation on which they can latch into when they lack something more substantial to them. So this could also, I think another route to sort of, uh, solve this and to stop searching for something to pin your value onto is to create something onto which temporarily you pin your value and then ultimately meditate and recognize that your value comes from none of this. But, uh, to say what is important to me, whether it's you know stand-up comedy and writing quality jokes, whether it's starting a business and not needing it to be validated by these people who are selecting you in an MBA program. The one thing that I will add before I kick it over to you, uh, MBA programs and business <laughs> are so different. Uh, if, if, if what you value is creating, generating value through a business, what you will find is that the MBAs often make up the middle and upper middle ranks of businesses, but almost never the entrepreneurs uh, of which you can become one right now, if if that is important to you. This is not the only inroad into creating value in the world through a business. Anything else? Yeah, the only thing I would add is it sounds like you're struggling to answer this essay because you don't know what makes you a good candidate because you don't think that you're a success unless you get into the MBA. That's, that's what this makes me think your impression is. So what I would say is it can be helpful to kind of take a step back and think, okay, what if what if you were your own best friend? We did this video on best friend brain, right? Like what if you had a friend that was identical to you in terms of life experience, work experience, all that, what would you write about them that that would be their accolades? Because I think sometimes we just have these weird self-esteem issues. And so I can look to Charlie and be like, Charlie's created an amazing business. But when I think to myself, I'm like, Ben, meh. You know, like I just have, it's just easier for me to praise a friend. Mm -hmm. And so think to yourself, like what could what would you say about yourself if you weren't you is almost the question and i would do it in writing because it's easier to temporarily dissociate from yourself mm -hmm. and just look at your life from start to finish and go what are what are the moments that uh i would tell a friend to be proud of yeah versus what are, what am i proud of maybe you're proud of nothing because you have low self-esteem what are the moments i would tell a friend to be proud of and you'll start to see these things rise up and i think that'll help inform your essay and hopefully your self-esteem too yeah so I think when you when you search for validation or acceptance by another group, what you're essentially trying to do is you're trying to fulfill their criteria to be a good person or, you know, it's saying, I will be happy when these people think highly of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and what you want to do is you just want to take that power back in, in whatever way you can. And, and so write down, you know, I'm my own best friend. Like, first off, what do I think a good person is? And then would my best friend say that I live up to these standards? And mm -hmm. in the ways in which you don't, you know, maybe they're more creative, they're more risk-takey. Go do the things that you would need to do to live up to your own set of standards to get into the own internal uh, 
group of people that you think you can hold in high esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, one of those things was very early on, I realized that, man, I need to be more courageous in the decisions that I make. I didn't hold my, uh, not that I hated them, but I didn't hold the coworkers in high esteem who kind of just got through the workday. And I realized that I was becoming like them and then it was hurting my self-esteem. So one of the things that helped me was being like, okay, this means I got to be a risk taker person to have a higher level of self-respect to stop caring about the validation of moving up in this particular organization. And we left and went to Brazil and I was like, yes, I'm the risk taker person. <laughs> and guess what? Nick, I can be proud of myself. I can be proud of myself now. And nothing really worked that well, but <laughs> I at least hit that that standard for myself. So yeah, yeah come back to your own your own self-grade rather than what you think you need to be in order to get into their school. And cool. good luck. Cool. Cool. Anything else? Yep. One more. Um, last one is from Milan. <clears throat> he says, it seems to me that being pushed over the edge sometimes and conforming to society, society's norms can really help people from feeling excluded and purposeless. Do you guys think our society should be inclusive to everybody? For example, all the different kinds of genders that people identify as, or should there be an extent to what we call normal, and should people be asking to conform to certain things? I'm asking this because it really encourages the individualistic society, which I think isn't contributing to people's overall health, happiness, and development. Mm-hmm. So so there's a lot of... Can can we start that question again? Because I feel like it, the last sentence confused me. Can, yeah. Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, no, it is confusing. Um, So it seems to me that being pushed over the edge sometimes... <clears throat> and conforming to society's norms can really help people from feeling excluded and purposeless. So can I just hop in? So he pushed over the edge to him, I think, means pushed to conform with society's expectations. Sure. Okay. Uh-huh. So do you guys think our society should be inclusive to everybody? For example, <clears throat> all the different kinds of genders that people identify as, or should there be an extent to what we call normal and should be should people be able to conform to certain things? So pause. So so what he's saying is that would it be more beneficial for these people that have these more fringe ideas of gender, gender to identities be, to, to be, be say no fit into this particular sure. category. Okay. Go ahead. Uh-huh. And then I'm asking this because it really encourages the individualistic society, which I think isn't contributing to people's overall health, happiness and development. God. So it. I actually oh, so, don't so agree. So I don't bit, agree with that last part. I don't so, know if you do. Well, no, what, just let me understand what he's saying. So what he's saying is when everyone has their own uh, definition of what a, what a man or a woman is and it doesn't fit with the, the most widely held. Not own definition of what a man or a woman is. They're, when everyone has their own definition of what they are. Of what they are. And it doesn't fit. I get to define myself instead of just saying I'm a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. That that makes a more individualistic society. Which I, I actually don't agree with. I, okay, I don't think – I think I understand what is being said. Yeah, yeah, it was confusing. <laughs> I read it ahead of time. That's yeah, the only yeah. reason. I don't think that gender creates individualism in America. I do think America, especially in big cities, has an individual a focus on the individual over the community. But I think that that has more to do with if you're in a big city or a small town than it does if you're how you identify. You know, I, I think our philosophical um, idolization of capitalism is what creates that. The idea that I have to have more than my neighbors, my stuff is separate yeah, than yeah. my neighbors, that it's about whose car is better, that my car reflects on me. I think that is the so kind of thing. you think consumerism and yeah. keeping up with the Joneses Yeah, is the I think that if I'm, if I'm a he, a she, or a zer, I don't think actually makes me more individual unless in the community, unless my community ostracizes me for Got it. it. So what you're saying is you could, you could easily imagine a community of non-gender binary people and even some gender binary people interacting uh, in a more community focused, yeah, in a communist kibbutz of a hundred people, 
that all pool their resources together and when a roof breaks in everyone goes and thatches it regardless and, of your society and, and they are, and there's have a, several different concepts there's a zer and a her and okay. a he and a whatever and there's and people in there that also think that there's only men and women yeah i okay. think that that community would be less individualistic than if you because first of all these people are still going to feel the way they feel so if you've just said shut up everyone has to be a he or a she i don't think that's going <laughs> to i don't yeah, think that's so, going to make anyone feel more a part of the community or be less focused on themselves Got it. i actually think it has more to do with capitalism consumerism a lack of communal sharing around chores yeah. the idea that if your roof breaks down it's up to you to make the money and then to fix the roof and to pay a stranger to fix your roof Got instead it. of so you're saying part of what makes people unhappy or a large part of it is the is the materialism and and the not unhappy just individual he's saying that he thinks that yeah. the u.s is too individualistic Got i'm it. saying i don't think it has anything to do with gender got it so the gender question if i could try to to again sort of steel man this this question as i think maybe it's being intended is uh well maybe it's not how it's intended but this is the question that comes up with gender which is who gets to decide decide uh on self-definition hmm. is it the person defining himself or is it uh a group of people weighing in on that person and does this shift for different categories for instance i imagine and though i could be wrong that many of the people who might be non-gender binary would uh agree that well that that if they were born 30 years ago they cannot identify as a 15 year old and attend 10th grade or 11th grade mm -hmm. uh so does does that fragment society i, I don't know i'm kind of just trying to make up I a new question i'm saying. trying to make up a new question i think that that makes more sense to me because i do agree with kind of with what you said which is that uh at least the example given not conforming to gender norms as they have been in america for a long time does is not the big individualist contributor also, isn't it like 0.3 percent of the population 0.6. okay so if we have an individualistic society I don't think it's because 0.6% of the population doesn't conform to gender norms, right? Sure. It's because 100% of the population does something. Sure. And if Costa Rica is more community-based, it's because of something that has to do with the, a much larger part of the population. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't think forcing people to conform to... Forcing 0.6% of the population to do anything would have very little effect on, effect the, on the U.S. culture of individualism, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And and maybe we're misunderstanding of what this person is trying to say with the last part of their question. If so, yeah, yeah, I'm just trying in. my best to understand yeah, the question. But yeah. I don't think that's why Americans focus on themselves relative to the Chinese, yeah, for instance. I agree. As as the question is formulated, I agree with that. Cool. I think he was using gender more as a as an example of something that could be contributing to individualistic society. I think the question kind of boils down to would an individualistic society um lead to more i guess what words did he use lead to less happiness than i guess a collective one where everyone kind of like has more of a community Yo, so so does individualism create less happiness than collectivism you can make an argument that it's all about the execution i feel like yeah yeah it, there's that because because pure collectivist societies are awful yeah they're terrible and i think that you would also similarly argue pure individualistic societies are terrible <laughs> like, yeah and maybe it's just been poorly executed but when yeah. i when i look at like communist russia it doesn't seem like it's great it seems like a lot of people were uh hungry well even just take the the uh you know you are you are merely uh 
a appendage of your family or your clan or your this you are a drone bee in in a thing i think this is the tension of oh being... when we talked about the when we talked about the guy that was going to leave his yes um cult-like church he said i yes. forget what i don't think he even said what church it was mm-hmm. but he was part of a cult-like church he called into the show and he said it was in, it was incredibly difficult for him because he didn't believe what the community believed but the community was super community focused yeah. so much so that any diversity of thought was enough to not just be frowned upon, but get you kicked out of the community. Sure. Didn't seem like it benefited him. And it sounded like it stressed his brother. It stressed him. He had friends who had similar stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think forcing a lack of diversity of opinion is the answer to being happy. I would agree. Though, you can also point to, um, and, and there's people that dislike it, but Amish, you know, like where there is more or even take a difference between what might be your more prototypical latin american family and your, your i think latin's a better because there's some your, amish horror stories as well sure but sure sure costa rica seems like a very community-based yeah, yeah. less I mean, individual when i lived there i mean kids living at home with their parents like for for extended periods of time mm-hmm. abuelita is is there in the house probably like, true of small this is the other thing I, I was saying it probably true of small towns in the u.s as mm-hmm. well like i don't know if this person comes from a major city uh, it could be a major city in Europe too. It doesn't it's not just the U.S. But if you live in a city of ten million people, harder to have a community. Totally. And so I think that the question becomes weirdly this comes back to individualism. Uh, is as you go through your life, keep your eyes open to be like, where do I flourish the the most? Yeah. Is it when I am in a close knit community, such to where it's bunk beds in my room and it's you know people all the time, and and what comes first is harmony as opposed to my personal expression, mm-hmm. uh, or is it when I'm you know lone person able to complete be totally separate? And I do think that what you'll find is that different people yeah. operate differently. And so, Great how point. should society function? Well, I ultimately do think that society, like if you want a community. As an individual, decide to enter into cool and make it. Yeah, we have an individualistic yeah. country, I'd say, mm-hmm. but certainly not one that prohibits community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so yeah, and 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 perhaps what could be done better is to uh, show the possible benefits of community, and talk, you know what I mean, and and expose some of these. For for instance, uh, you know, you watch a documentary of of these people who all get together in a commune and they grow their own food, and one person does it. That's an idea that people haven't been exposed to. The the oh I, interesting. I guess I just come from my own bias. I feel like all the research shows that community is very valuable for happiness. Yes, but you're, that's research. And for instance, it would probably occur to you that of course the grandparents will live in their own house separate and alone and only move in with their kids when they were on death's doorstep. Nah, dog. I try and get my parents <laughs> to move into a house in my backyard. Sure, but I've already invited you, them. But take a look at your grandparents. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. They, like my grandparents, they live separate. They, you know, they, they do that. Whereas baseline in the Latin culture is like, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is, that's just not, that it would, that would be. Well, uh, I think, and this is a tangent, but I think you do it from day one so that your, your grandkids and your grandparents have a tight relationship such that you want them in the house, you know what I mean. You if it's appropriate for everybody, and there's some grandparents that don't want it, and I imagine yeah, that yeah, there's well, some I wouldn't kids force that, it. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. force it. I'm just saying, if you're a grandparent that wants to be close to your grandkids, be available from day one to like make some sacrifices to sure. make sure you're around. If what you want is in the future, that they'll make sacrifices to help you. Got it. Versus, I'm in my 50s. I'm doing my own thing. Like I'm ignoring my family except for to the extent that we do holidays together mm-hmm. and all of a sudden i'm 80 and it's like oh i want to live with oh, you let's connect like, <laughs> yeah, 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 what? like yeah, yeah. i don't remember you helping me with my homework yeah and that's not a knock on anything but i'm just saying that the costa rican 
thing is that the kids feel the grandkids feel really strongly connected to their grandparents because yes. the grandparents were around making mm-hmm. sacrifices cooking dinner and whatever it was mm-hmm. you know um so yeah if you want a community i think it's it's so to the start. question the question was should people be pushed pushed into communities and i think the answer that i would give is no but perhaps as a society we could do a better job of exposing people to like Look, on the island of Okinawa, like the grandparents all hang out with sure. the grandkids and they all have bingo clubs and like that doesn't exist in most major US cities and uh the dream that we often talk about is to move to New York, Los Angeles, San yeah. Francisco and to be a, an atomized individual in an atomized apartment building on the opposite side of the country from your family of origin. Sure. And it's very possible that someone listening to this was told that community was important because they didn't grow up in the suburbs of mm-hmm. Philadelphia like us. And maybe where they grew up, there was an emphasis on that. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to say that everywhere in the U.S. de-emphasizes community. Yeah. Because I think it probably depends a lot on where you're born. Yes. But to the point of this, uh, some of the religious groups, you don't want to force community on an individual. Yeah, I never, in my I wouldn't opinion. recommend that. Yeah. You want to invite people, preferably mm-hmm. don't shun them. Like, you'd still come for holidays, even if you don't live in the commune. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that would be my take. I actually think uh, what should you do as an individual if you're an American, recognize the community actually might be far better for you than you currently recognize based on all the examples you see. That's mm-hmm. number one. But as a society, should we push people? I don't think so. I agree with you. Cool. Have a great day, everyone. Bye, oh, Charisma wait. University. No, no, forget that. Hold on. Wait, <laughs> wait. I had a question. I don't know if this is – if we don't get enough answers, I'm going to have to say it earlier. Um, I want to know if people could please comment why they listen to the podcast. Okay. I've been doing a lot of thinking about – different directions this could go in and obviously if people listen because they want entertainment versus if they listen because they want to learn we'll do different things we'll interview different people so we're starting to think about having guests introducing new segments besides just fan questions and news so if you could please just tell me why you listen that would help me not cut the parts you like <laughs> and instead try to create something that you'll like even more dope have a wonderful day everyone thanks to charisma university for sponsoring <laughs> This is the lamest read. Charisma University. CharismaCommand.com slash university. Thanks, everybody. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.